This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and Jeff. The gang is gathered together and our goal is to help you I don't know, make sense of this crazy life we're living. Tragedy, again, uh, a mass shooting in uh, Texas. 26 dead, 20 more injured, 8 from one family, all gathered at a church in Sutherland Springs, about 30 miles um, east, uh, or 30 miles east of where? Is that San Antonio. San Antonio. Oh, boy. Tragedy. And... You, I'm sure you've heard the stories already, and again, another shooting. This one was a little different in that the shooter was eventually chased away right. by a bystander with a gun. So he very well could have gotten more. Yeah, who knows where he was going next. And then the bystander apparently got a shot that hit him, and then a, a maybe. maybe recent news was that he then shot himself. Mm. Unbelievable. And again, you wonder, what is going on? What is happening? Just only a few weeks ago, were we talking about the shooting in Las Vegas? This one in a church. Um, apparently, I, I heard the sheriff on CNN talking about the fact that his in-laws, his estranged in-laws, because I guess he's divorced, um, go to church there. So they think that may be a possible reason why he showed up. They have no idea. Scary. I mean, if you can't feel safe in a church, where can you feel safe? The First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs. Um, crazy stuff. And then, then we have uh, friends and neighbors who have LDS missionaries in San Antonio that would be working in that area. And you're like, what? First thing you hear about is a church. And ah, what are we going to do? And eventually, you know, or I'm, I'm sure immediately you already hear people jumping on. All the other issues. I mean, remember the the Luby's. Do you remember the Luby shooting in 1991? Yep. It, one of uh, 21 people, I guess, were shot or something. It was just this is this is getting crazy, and we've talked about it over and over and over. The numbers, by the way, if you go look at how many mass shootings, and a mass shooting, I guess, is any any number higher than four people. Four people shot. Um, it's there's there's one or two a day. Hmm. I think so far this year, I can't remember the numbers, but 300 and something already. But this is, again, above above par. So we'll be talking about that. Plus, we got to get to what happened to Senator Rand Paul. Crazy attack, just mowing his own lawn in his gated community from a neighbor. All that straight ahead. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what is going on around this country? President Donald Trump on this morning blamed mental health for a shooting rampage that left 26 people dead in Texas. A Texas church on Sunday speaking uh, during a joint news conference with Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe in Tokyo. Trump appeared to shrug off concerns over gun control. This isn't gun a guns situation. This is a mental health problem at the highest level. It is very, very sad. Mental health is your problem here, he said, adding that preliminary reports suggest the shooter was very deranged. Yeah. I, I haven't seen those. I mean, but. it is clearly a mental health issue and he clearly used a gun. And it's the same gun that's being used in many of these same shootings. Yeah. But I mean, there's and, nothing that can and be done. Interestingly, then, the, and a gun was used to stop him. I mean, at least d- delay him. Right. He went on to offer his thoughts and prayers to the victims of the shooting, called for unity, but he stopped short of calling for any police changes. 
our policy changes. Authorities have yet to release details on a motive. As we talked yeah. about, there's some ideas coming out, but nothing firm as they're still trying to figure out why he went into that Sutherland Springs church. The shooter fled the scene, found dead in his car, according to records. The shooter had received a bad conduct discharge from the Air Force in 2014 for domestic violence, probably a reason for his yep. not being with his wife. He should not have been able to purchase a gun, according to the L.A. Times, because if you're discharged yeah. for this reason, you shouldn't get a gun. But and apparently on his uh, the application you fill out, he he claimed to have no no reason why he shouldn't have a gun. Right. The impact of the tragedy tragedy will be more uh, sharply felt given the town's tiny size. Sutherland Springs, home to just 326 people as of 2000. The New York Times reports this means about 7% of the population was in that church. This is unbelievable. Two of the five deadliest mass shootings in modern U.S. history have happened in the last 35 days. Wow. Well, and then you start, and by the way, notice neither are tied to... ISIS or terrorism, so we no. we always kind of go there. This is about good old fashioned, you know, mental health problems and yet, access to guns. And yet, ISIS is probably going to claim this one too. Yeah, they probably will. President Trump, as I said, he's in Japan. He arrived there Saturday, stopping over. He stopped in Hawaii first. Yeah, visited some uh, of the uh, Trump the, properties. No, he visited the Arizona Memorial. Oh, he did that too. Yeah, those types of things. His first event on Sunday was a speech at the joint U.S.-Japanese air base near Tokyo where he told the assembled brave warriors they are the greatest threat to tyrants and dictators who seek to prey on the innocent. Hmm. The president then joined uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe at a country club to have hamburgers, play around a round of golf, talk about North Korea, and sign matching baseball caps that read, Donald and Shinzo make alliance <laughs> cool. even greater. That's great. Sounds like a were great they, TV what, show. They, those were the white caps? Not sure. I think they were white. They want to check the... And they signed them. The Trump website, see if yeah, those are available. Those are probably for sale. Abe reported that they were able to carry out in-depth discussion at times, touching on various difficult issues, and Trump said he doesn't believe the United States has ever been closer to Japan than we are right now. People are complaining, because apparently when he went to Waikiki yeah. on the way there, and he visited a Trump location, That and so now everyone's like... You don't even own this one. This was one that's just, they just rented the name out kind oh, of thing. okay, yeah. So everybody's mad that eh. you're just pitching your own goods. Yeah, there's other things to do. But hey, when, now, but... when in Waikiki, sure. you want to you check out what's going on with your property. As you were talking about, a Bowling Green man was arrested Friday, charged with fourth-degree assault after an incident at the Bowling Green home of U.S. Senator Rand Paul. Huh. Renee Butcher, or Butcher, Butcher? Yeah, 59 is in the jail in lieu of $5,000 bond. Paul suffered five broken ribs in the <sighs> attack. Uh, Paul, Rand Paul's spokesperson issued a statement to the indicating that Senator Paul is fine. He was blindsided, victim of assault. The arrest warrant in the case indicates that Paul told police his neighbor came to his property, tackled him from behind as he was mowing his lawn, forcing him to the ground, causing pain. According to the warrant, Paul had injuries to his face and had trouble breathing due to oh. a rib injury. This apparently is some sort of neighborhood yeah. tiff situation. Yeah, well, con- you're not. Yeah. you got to cut your lawn diagonal. Yeah, they're not sure if it's... <laughs> On po- the diagonal. They're not sure if it's political. They're, some people are saying the guy that attacks Senator Paul is distinctly anti-Trump. Wow. So they're not sure if that has anything He's to do with it. He's a socialist, somebody so reported. we'll see what happens. But honestly, what that's that can't be good when you take down a senator. Yeah. Like, that's got to be really bad for you. Even if that's just the guy over there mowing his lawn, yeah. and you know he's a senator, but, I mean, it's kind of different when yeah. you know him. 
still you can't just go yeah, attack you just them. can't yeah, yeah i mean you could attack your neighbor it's broken fine. ribs by the way and displaced yeah, ribs that's a big yeah. deal they're saying it's like he hard breathing yeah and, that's a long time yeah. recovery finally three as it says here husky men in hoodies driving a white dodge van broke into a ups truck wednesday Ooh, it sounds like us while it was parked outside a san francisco apple store it was delivering 313 new apple iPhone X's. X's, we'll call it that, <laughs> according to the police. The theft happened between 11 and 11.30 in the morning. Total value of the stolen merchandise was estimated to be more than $370,000 because each phone costs at least $1,000. It's a good haul. The iPhone Great X haul. was just, it was going to be released that morning. The suspects haven't been caught. Each phone was cataloged with a description and serial number, which means the police report was one of the, as the sergeant here said, fattest police reports they've ever seen because they had <laughs> documentation on For every single phone. phone. Uh, it's unclear if the stolen phone will work or if Apple will be able to disable them. The company declined to get any security information as they are wont to do. Wow. Always Someone. check the serial number when Always. you're purchasing yeah. something. Don't If you get a good deal on an iPhone X, don't take it. Because Apple's not going to negotiate on price. No. But the guy that stole the Apple. They don't negotiate with, as it says, husky men in hoodies. That's right. But, by the way, who does? Isn't that kind of shaming? The yeah. robber, you call him husky. Yeah. I mean, that's sad. Isn't that just codified language? Yeah. Okay. Three fatties. <laughs> Everyone when I was growing up, they go, oh, you're husky. I go, eh. Husky. In your face. I never got called husky, but now I'm starting to be called husky a lot more. I was called husky in my tough skins, if you remember tough oh, skins. Oh, I remember tough skins. Yeah. If you went to school in Washington, you may have been called a husky. That's true. It's a very good. My neighbor had a husky. Yeah. That was a wily dog. Crazy. Anywho, um, boy, Donna Brazil. Mm. I'm she, not sure what's going on there. I, I, even if she's trying to sell a book, she she went off saying, look, I'm going to say what truth I know. And she almost, I guess when Hillary Clinton had the fainting spell, mm-hmm. she's, she was thinking, okay, we got to get rid of Hillary. Yeah, and that, when did that happen? It was it was September because that was a nine yeah. eleven remembrance. That's she was right. At. That's right. September before the election, she wanted to replace the mm-hmm. candidate with mm-hmm. Joe Biden. Right. Which, by the way, would have been the and maybe Cory Booker. She was thinking. Oh, really, Senator Cory Booker? That. I think that New Jersey was interesting. Yeah. Possibly the vice president. She was thinking of. Could you imagine that? Well, you're, you're, and could she have done it? I don't think you're you're le- you're what less than two months out from election day. And you're just gonna. But maybe this maybe maybe she knew something we don't know. Maybe. Really? Well, I mean... Apparently you, you she's known a lot of things we didn't know. Well, think about it. You don't replace a Clinton. You don't even think of replacing a Clinton. So there had to have been enough reason other than wobbly knees. I don't know. And Maybe she was more in the moment thinking if this is more than just she fainted. Plus she also so said that, that she's the one that's been talking about how Clinton had basically taken over the De- Democratic Party. She uh, And the Democrats had been in her back pocket for a year or whatever. Yeah. See that I heard some people try to explain that situation. Yeah. And it's it was interesting trying to downplay certain aspects and focus on some other things. But oh, sure. the idea that she the Democratic National Committee was basically bankrupt. Yeah, so they, it's Hillary, all about money. Hillary Clinton came in and they had a funding agreement and she gave them money to to operate. Yeah. But in doing so there was this agreement on what a quid, a quid pro quo? The idea that if the if the the national committee wanted to make appointments or you know promote people or put them in leadership, yeah. that, that the Clinton campaign would have final say so. 
Well, because but, we gave you the yeah. money, give us that. And it, so the money that she, they, they raised and the thing from the Democratic yeah. committee, it wasn't like they were funding the Hillary Clinton campaign, but it's that influence over leadership of the Democratic committee yeah. who made all these decisions. Well, but Bernie Sanders would say, and it basically kept him out of play. Well, yeah, because then they just maneuvered to make it harder for right. the primary process to work for Bernie. The and same way it was working for Clinton. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, what were you doing? A lot of people are, are going to be mad about that because right. a lot of people think well, Bernie it, would have run the table. There's this Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton like war type of thing. Yeah. Supporters on both sides within the Democratic Party kind of a – it was really bad and then they seem to have been healing that, those wounds a little bit, trying to come mm-hmm. together. And now it's just torn now apart just again. Fallen. By the way, when I just said Bernie ran the table, uh, how many of you had a visual of Bernie running across the table? Ah, not until crazy. you just said that. Yeah. And think, even now I'm having a hard time picturing it. <laughs> you can't see Bernie with his hair all askew running War. around the DNC <laughs> tables. Now, the leadership of the DNC now, a mm-hmm. uh, man by the name of Perez is the head of the DNC. Yeah. There was a very kind of vicious election process to get the head of the DNC just a few months ago. The guy that was running against Perez was a Bernie Sanders guy. Right. And so there was these two factions kind of fighting. The the Clinton guy, Perez, won, but then he immediately asked the the guy that he was running against, will you be my number two and help me unify the party? He said, absolutely. The number I heard that number to the vice president yeah. guy. He went on a podcast and was talking about, okay, what we need to do now is admit everything that we did and move on. We don't have time to fight and to sit here and yeah. have this infighting. Yeah. It doesn't fix anything. We need to move on from this. I- acknowledge everything. Don't deny it. Yeah, yeah. Don't make excuses. Just move on. And I thought that was – I don't know if that's – a good approach. It's, it's an approach. It, you it's know, better than it, what it, other people would have probably tried to do, which is deny, deny, and then you have months of fighting. Yeah, dry, wrong. Yeah. It, and by the way, you nailed it. It is an approach. It's an approach. I don't know if it's the <laughs> best one. We'll see. There, there are other approaches, but interesting stuff. Um, boy, uh, fall back um, in our what's it called uh, daylight like savings time. Um, had a hard time with that this weekend. Really, kind of forgot about it. Yeah, but you don't have young kids that don't realize that no. you get an extra hour of no, sleep. we just – everybody in my house slept. Didn't your phone update? Yeah, my phone did. And... No, my wife and I got it, but we were like – Oh, okay. But I don't know. I'm still tired. I did feel like yesterday kind of went on and on and yeah. on. And, just... and then how about when you're like you, – we actually left a dinner that we were at earlier than we normally would because it was so dark. We're like, we better get home. Our kids are mm. going to be exhausted. And then we left and it was like 5.30. Yeah. 5 o'clock yesterday was when the sun went down is when I was confused. Mm-hmm. I was that like, was it has right. to be much later. It's only 5. Yeah. We did exactly what I predicted we'd do and we just stayed up an hour later and finished season two of Stranger Things. Really? I, yeah. took, I took my wife on that journey. We, we saw two episodes of Stranger Things. Yeah. Season two? So, yeah, season one. Oh, season one. she's oh, new to this. She's behind. And she, she's watching it. Oh, wow. Wow. Just wait. Yeah, and you'll she be says, finished she in says, a week. Are there like aliens in this? Eh, they're not really aliens. And I'm like, Terry doesn't call them aliens. They're demogorgons. They're, they're demogorgons. It's different. Yeah. Yeah, when they were playing the Dungeons and Dragons scene at the very beginning. Yeah. She's like, what's a demogorgon? You'll find out. <laughs> yeah. 
Did you play Dungeons and Dragons? No, I did not. Good. Would you have thought less of me if I would have said yes? Probably. Okay. Yeah. My parents were, uh, I think I was a little young for that. Yeah. And my parents were not. Well, that, yeah. That, that, they, they were totally bought in on everything that was said about how it's evil. Yeah. Well, that was the time waster just before time wasters, high tech time wasters came out. Right. That was, that was, that was the precursor to Netflix. Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. Okay. You've got a lot of excitement ahead of you. You've got Boy. Rudy to look forward to in season two. Rudy? Rudy. Yeah. Hold on. Rudy. Sean Astin, Rudy. Oh. Goonies, Rudy. Oh, really? Yeah. This is exciting. Anything else? Uh, Paul Reiser? Paul Reiser is great. Hold on. Paul yeah. Reiser's in Stranger Things? Yes. Yeah. Oh, this he's, is exciting. Yeah. Where's, he's turned into quite the dramatic actor. He's been in a bunch of dramatic things in the last few years. See, Paul Reiser, even he refound his career. At one point, he's like, "You go, I'll watch the cameras." <gasps> Ooh, see, it's it, it's a mistake. little bit not a spoiler though, because you have no idea what he's watching. I will say, we probably spent the first seven or eight episodes wondering what his motives were. Ooh, and if he was going to be like the guy from season one. I questioned Rudy's place in the whole show. I did too. too. I oh like, my goodness, he oh, looks see, shifty. Well, okay, can we just talk about the first two episodes? It was a while ago, but go ahead. Yeah, you'll have to refresh. I your was memory. really bad. I was. I mean, I was really bummed out that the the guy um, with the little Benny's restaurant was okay. it Benny? Was his name Benny? Oh, that took eleven in. That took her in. Yeah, he took eleven gave in, gave her a burger, but he yeah. was there only there really one or two scenes, and the next thing he knows, he's yeah, yeah. out for the count. We won't say what that means if you haven't seen it. You just had a bad burger. Yeah, that was a little shocking. You're but like, you've, Whoa, you've got is... Matthew Modine in season oh, yeah. one. He's more of your generation. What? Wow. What did you mean by that? He well, you grew old. up with him. Yeah. He's a little older than you, but, you know. Yeah, that just seemed a little. Married to the mob. Hmm. Um, seemed a little pointed. He yeah. was in The Dark Knight Rises as well, though. You, you can't talk your way out of what you just said. He's trying to, though. <laughs> Really, <laughs> you've already offended valiant me. effort there. Good job. Already offended me. Okay, fun stuff straight ahead. Uh, Joe Cannon will be joining us. We're going to be talking about uh, all things political. Joe's our uh, Joe in the know. We call him. Just like to pick his brain about what's really going on in Washington today. We'll be able to also talk about what's going on in um, Japan. Interesting stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you make sense of all the things going on in the world. Hopefully, some things just don't make sense, do they? Well. We'll do our best. This is uh, the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, it is Monday, which means we get the, the great pleasure of uh, talking with Joe Cannon. Joe is our Washington insider, or just Joe in the know, we call him. Very just well-informed, obviously uh, intelligent, well-read guy that knows people. Joe in the know, we call him. And uh, Joe, we like to pick his brain because uh, a lot of times some of these things get so crazy in the political world, we might miss some of the nuances. So Joe Cannon, how are you, my friend? Are you there, Joe? Joe in the know. We're going to go try to get him back on. Um, we just had him on the line. But um, one of the things that that really is is going to, uh, I think, haunt 
um, the Trump administration is you you can't keep having these shootings and because then all of a sudden it turns into, is this a mental health issue? Well, yeah. Is this a gun issue? Well, probably. Um, is this a gun? I mean, is this, can we continue to have every one of these uh, Republican, um, you know, a state like Texas that has a lot of voting power in the GOP also loves guns. We need to start some, some real discussions and start having some real clarity in what's going on um, and what we can do as a country to make our everything safer. It's not probably going to be enough to just say that, uh, you know, we've got to have laws about churches and guns because this guy wouldn't have obeyed anything like that. So let's go back to Joe. We think we got him on the line now. Joe, are you there? I'm here. Yep. yep. How, how are you, Joe? Good to talk to you. Good talking to you. Happy Monday. Um, boy, I, we have to start out with the Texas shooting and tragedy. 26 dead in a church. Um, I mean, again, it seems like just a few weeks ago we were talking about Las Vegas shooting. No, what a nightmare. And, uh, you know, I just read up a little bit more this morning, and so far still no one knows why this guy did it. Uh, it's just a, you know, total uh it's just a nightmarish tragedy. Well, and we it seems like we spent we spent so much time on the terrorist angle, which we need to do because of the terrorist act in New York where the man drove down the the bike path. Um but but then there's kind of these other one-off incidents um like Vegas and this Texas shooting where it, there seems to be other mental health issues possibly at play. Uh, what is there really anything politically that can be done? Well, and are we giving too much you know, trust and faith to our political process to solve something that might be just really more of a community issue? Well, this is a, like a big, large question that goes back even before the founding. Of, you know, how much can government actually do right. to fix up the defects of humankind? And of course, laws themselves are really very important, but. There's undergirding all that is laws. The best laws in the world cannot produce morality. Right. Laws work in general because you have to have a fundamentally, and I don't want to say righteous, but but it's a fundamentally, uh, a society that fundamentally understands that individuals have duties and responsibilities, and you can't, a law can't make that happen. Right. It's, it's, it's sad, but there are there are some things like uh, I know I, I heard for whatever reason some people were critical of President Trump for saying this is a mental health problem, but it, but it really looks like a mental health problem. Right. Right. Uh, so there, you know, and communities could pay more attention to that, both legally and just you know socially. Uh, someone had to know that this guy was a nut and had problems. Uh, so, I mean, there are probably some things that could be done, but I think what can't be done or what, what doesn't matter much is uh, gun control laws. And I'm not even taking a side here. I mean, I have a view, a pretty strong view of the Second Amendment, but in none of these cases could any gun control law have worked. Right. To stop the, stop the, uh, the nightmare, the massacre. Apparently uh, he did fill out a form to get his gun. And then it may have misrepresented the truth on the form, but again, that's not 
what is that going to do? The form, the form itself is. I mean, I guess unless you have a, you know, like a, a, a one month waiting period or whatever. But even you did, you know, uh, criminals can steal guns. They'll find you know, guns, right? If, if this guy was for some reason the gun store said, "Okay, we're not going to give you this gun," he, he would have found a gun somehow, some way. Yeah, no, right. Uh, so unless the only real solution is to pass a resolution to somehow figure out how to make guns disappear, but that's like magic. That's not yeah, yeah. That would it, you would need a unicorn. For that, and if it, yeah, right. That's, I, I do call those things unicorn laws. But then the other thing that people would just murder others. There've been a whole bunch of knife attacks, right? Car attacks, bombs, right? Uh, bombs blowing up airplanes. You know, there. So a, a law cannot stem uh, the the role of evil in humankind. That's right. You know? So, in fact, I guess a, I guess humans have to counter it with even that much more goodness. More goodness, more diligence. Uh, like I said, some of these cases, uh, people know. Pe- people know. You, you know the, the shooting in Connecticut. Yeah. People knew that that guy was insane. They, they knew that. Yeah. I, I should say insane. I don't know. It had mental problems. Right. Uh, I'm sure someone knew this guy had mental problems. Right. He was. He had. He he was released for spousal abuse. I mean, they knew there was issues and tension in the home. And um, I don't know. It's I, I guess this is the this is the the reality of the of the kind of world we live in. And I think you make a great point that you're not going to legislate a healthy morality. You just you're not going to do it. And none, none of the, by the way, none of the founders thought you could. In fact, the the exact opposite. There are numerous quotes, uh, not just about the role of religion, but the role of the individual in society that laws can't make you good the constitution you know i'm I'm pulling together a whole bunch of different quotes but the constitution uh according to the founders only works in a moral society Hmm. not the other way around so in other words the society didn't become moral because of the constitution the constitution could only work could only be efficacious oh interesting society that had all other kinds of uh, organs of, of uh, you know, public. And so, you know, the, the collection of groupings, of uh, associations that, that Tocqueville talked about. Yeah. Uh, religion, uh, history, the native, uh, the, the native inclination to obey the law. And that doesn't occur in a lot of, uh, not to insult any particular culture, but I would just say that in America, in Canada, in New Zealand, in Australia, in England, generally speaking, people stop at stop signs at 4 a.m. in the morning. Right. That, that's not true in most other countries. In most other countries, they drive on sidewalk, many other countries. I, I've been in fear of my life in many <laughs> different countries, in sitting in a vehicle, either that I'm driving or even that a tour bus. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, that's called the common law. Those countries all have a different legal system that comes, that emerges from the people and is dependent upon people wanting to do the right thing. And so they, so there's a natural inclination to, to do the right thing. Now, obviously, we have crime and sin and all kind of bad things in the common law countries, but people's reaction to them, the whole the jury system, the, all the set of constitutional protections those kind of stem from the people. Mm. And um, 
and that's how how the Constitution came to be. Now we're drifting a long way from that, you know, a couple yeah. hundred years later. But anyway, I'm sorry, going on on that. No, but but, yeah, you, the, but the, it maybe it makes a good laws. Yeah. I was just going to say, Joe, may, maybe this is a good point that so if it can't continue without um, kind of a really strong foundation of people that will be law abiding. All the more reason that if you are a good law-abiding person, you can't just give up. You've got to keep being law-abiding, or eventually the entire system will disintegrate. That is true. Truer words were never spoken. Boy, I mean that's scary. So really, it's the decent people that have to stay decent, um, and as many as we can, that we keep it decent. Otherwise, it just the fabric disintegrates. That's scary. Well, yeah, I I don't want to I don't want to just missing something and that is the law is a deterrent to some degree for for lots of crimes right but when you get into the problem of mental illness you're not really thinking it's well, not about the law unless right unless you're what this guy apparently this was a suicide i mean he ended up dying suicide my guess is he must have planned that uh so you know there's some things you can't fix but yeah i'm not suggesting that we don't really be vigorous in our enforcement of the law but I guess my issue is lots of people is you can't you can't put too much reliance on that because that's not going to fix the root of the problem, which is human nature. Right. Well, in fact, and let's take that to a whole other level. We've and we talk about it every week on the show about how, you know, you just the Republican Party is multiple parties. And it really is like herding cats when it comes to legislation or even getting everyone on the same page. Um, But now many or some Republicans in uh, Congress are introducing a resolution to basically get uh, Mueller to resign as special counsel. And they're they're still pushing on this idea of getting rid of Mueller. Um, But then House Speaker Ryan comes out and basically says, we're not touching it. We're not touching special counsel Mueller's investigation. We're not going there. What's I guess is that just factions again trying to fight their different fight? Well, so in the Mueller case, there's is, there's the narrow set of facts around Mueller, and so I'll come to that. But just in preparation, thinking you might ask me this question, I just looked at the whole history of special counsels, special prosecutors, and you know one thing that this theme recurs and recurs and recurs about the power of the special prosecutor and whether you can fire them, firing them. The first special prosecutor was appointed in 1875 Hmm. by by Ulysses S. Grant. That special prosecutor decided it was in his whiskey's Scanned. It doesn't matter what it was, but that special prosecutor decided that U.S. Grant, Ulysses S. Grant's personal secretary might have a, be part of this problem. So he starts investigating the personal secretary. Ulysses S. Grant fires him. <laughs> Busted. There's a, huge, there's a huge outcry. Now, remember, everybody's a Republican in these days. The House, the Senate, you know, yeah. almost all the governors. It's all Republican land. So there's still there's an outcry. You can't do that. This is, that's why you have special prosecutors. And so he he ended up hiring another special prosecutor, and that that or that idea or that fact is repeated. So, so the most famous is the Saturday Night Massacre, uh, when uh, President uh, Reagan appointed. I'm mean, sorry, President Nixon appointed a right. special prosecutor. Actually, I think it was the the uh, the Attorney General 
there are all kinds of ways a special prosecutor can come to be. But anyway, uh, we'll go into all that detail. But but uh, so when when Archibald Cox started investigating too close to Nixon, he called up the, the attorney general, Elliot Richardson, and said, uh, uh, you need to fire this guy. No, I'm getting into details. Richardson had made a promise when he was confirmed that he – you know, uh, either would appoint or definitely he would appoint. He's, so, so he appointed Archibald Cox he's, and uh, made that commitment to Congress in his confirmation hearing. Okay, hmm. Nick, Nixon calls him up, his attorney general appointee, and says you got to fire Cox. And he says no and resigns. The next guy down is the deputy attorney general Bill Ruckelshaus, for whom I worked, by the way. Oh wow! And it was a huge mentor for me. And he he says no, I won't, and he quits. So the next guy in line is the Solicitor General, by the way, happens to be Robert H. Bork. Oh, wow, Judge Bork. Uh, and Judge Bork, at the behest of, uh, apparently, according to a new book out, the, at the behest of Richardson and Ruckelshaus, said, hey, you got it. You got to do this or else we won't really have any other people you know, left at uh, the Justice Department. So Bork fires him. Just a footnote on that. I know we're getting carried away, but a very interesting footnote is, Archibald Cox had very, very close ties, and I think at one point was the staff director for Teddy Kennedy. Fast forward to Bork's nomination. Oh, uh, that everything blew up, but the leader of the blowing up was Kennedy. The start was Teddy Kennedy. Holy cow! The tangled web. Yeah, that's a that's a a little bit of a diversion. But the point is, there's been a long history after. there was a special counsel statute uh, passed by Congress that expired in 1999, and everybody, Democrats and Republicans, let it expire because the Democrats were upset because of the Clinton investigations. The Republicans were upset. That's sure the particular thing they were upset at that time. But everybody agreed, okay, we're getting rid of that particular statute, and they just let it lapse. But that doesn't take away from the constitutional power of Either uh, the president, the attorney general, the, the, the embedded principle here is that sometimes there are situations that can't be truly investigated by the regular judicial process. Right. Well, I mean, and that having, makes that, sense. Having, yeah, but having said, having said that, there's a tremendous constitutional problem with the notion. This also recurs because he's uncontrolled uh, – and this goes all the way back, uncontrolled, has his own staff, not not generally subject to the oversight of either the legislative branch or the judicial branch or the executive branch. All of a sudden you create this independent um, you know, person with no with no oversight. So there's a, there's a lot of tension in how but, this works. By the way, the Supreme Court finally in 1988 did rule in a 7-1 seven, seven that the there is constitutional authority for the notion of a special counsel, a special prosecutor. They go, go by different names. But now, Mueller was Mueller was a uh, the FBI director, right? With under bipartisan under two presidents, a Republican and a Democrat part, president, right? Right. I think what you're seeing play out in the in the suggestion of him resigning uh, or being fired, which. Really, I guess you could be fired, but that's not going to happen. And why else said that? Um, there's there's a particular case here because 
Mueller is uh, charged with looking into various things, including Russian interference and Russian collaboration with Republicans and now possibly Democrats. So what's come up is that there's this um, document going around, a dossier that may have been funded by Democrats, but that's not the point. The, The FBI may have had a lot to do with that particular dossier, including using it in investigations. The person in charge of that was Comey. So Comey's out of the picture, but he and Mueller worked together forever and ever. They've friends, uh, uh, friends and colleagues at the Justice Department and the FBI. So, so there, there may be something a little bit more to the issue of should he either be, you know, resign, should somebody else investigate, but there's, there's actually something a little substantive here that you need to get to the, the nub of. And uh, so that but but that's not, I don't think, what's driving the Republican move mm. to, to, to call it resign. That, that's purely partisan, in my view. And, that, and, and you know, I, I just wanted to separate those two issues. There may be something legitimate yeah, in but- questioning that. But I don't I don't I think, if anything, that's an excuse on the part of the Republicans who have. Uh, in Congress, who would uh, like him to resign? Right. Does um, I mean now they're they're saying he ha- he may have enough evidence to bring charges against Flynn now and Flynn's son. He already has Manafort and Gates and Papadopoulos. I mean, there's a lot of I mean, these are a lot of people that are that are that may be going down. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things people hate about the special prosecutor situation is that once triggered there's no limitation on what you can do like so far uh i don't know enough about the papadopoulos situation yet but if, if you just look at the manafort situation it's nothing to do with the initial right. reason for going after them so we'll see what all the indictments are for flynn and others but uh so far they're not yet to the actual idea of russian collusion with somebody in general republicans in particular and more more narrowly, uh, Donald Trump, candidate Trump. So if he comes out yeah. with only indicting um, people on other issues, tax evasion issues or whatever, then is that really – this is a fail. If he investigates for a year, year and a half and really only comes up with other charges that don't have anything related to Russia, then I guess that would be seen as not successful. That or maybe there was a lot of collusion, but maybe it was Republicans and Democrats. Oh, interesting. The whole dossier thing yeah. was uh, it pro- probably ginned up uh, on the Democrat side, used by the FBI. So that could happen. Well, that but, might be great if if we if, if all of a sudden out of this investigation came a bilateral uh, collusion. Holy right. cow! Then we'd have something. Then we could trust I these know. investigations. On the other hand, you could get what happened when the special prosecutor was. Uh, uh, selected to, to investigate the Val- the so-called Valerie Plain case, mm. they, A, they came up with nothing. B, it turns out it was known who, I don't know that it was publicly, but it was known who the actual leaker was. The only thing that came out of that was the indictment and uh, prosecution of Scooter Libby, who mis- misstated, you know, you can talk about whether that was virtuous, accidental, or malign, but for whatever reason, the only thing that came out of that was uh, the prosecution of Scooter Libya. It had nothing to do 
uh, with it. It was it was like you know he yeah. got caught for misstating things to to Congress. The guilty ended up going free, and so it was just like a just a minor uh, thing. Mm. Given the overall scope of the of the investigation, so. that that's the thing about it, and th- then then everything just fades into the woodwork, and we just all pretend like we all go about our work. Um, but one thing, we only have a, a couple more minutes to talk, yeah, though. Sorry, uh, but yeah. Don, no, no. But um, Donna Brazil in her new book, uh, she was the former DNC head. Um, taking the place of uh, Deborah Wasserman Schultz, um, but she she came in and and she she they're opening up a lot of the books and basically saying that the Clinton um, campaign had basically taken over the DNC in one way or another, whether to pay bills or to to raise money for the DNC. But she also said that in her new book that she seriously contemplated contemplated setting in motion a process to replace Hillary Clinton after she had her fainting spell um, at the 9-11 memorial. Um, what do you think of that? I mean, and what do you think of them opening up the doors? I mean, that's that's some pretty big stuff. Well, something is very smelly in that situation. But just I'm very interested in the Democratic response to the overall thing is to say, well, none of that could be true because she didn't have the authority to do that. Right. Well, that may be true that she didn't have the authority. It's not true that she didn't have the authority to at least trigger uh, that kind of a, a process. But whether she did or did, it doesn't matter. What, what her book does is reveal just, A, tremendous tension there, tremendous fear. It illuminates kind of the split within the Democratic Party, you know, at the, no matter what else, it, it, it illuminates that. It does make it pretty clear that, the, that what Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump both said is that the primary was rigged. There's a lot of smoke around that fire hmm. uh, based on what Brazil said. And, you know, the fact that there was concern about the about Hillary, A, whether whether she had any ability to do something, whether Brazil had anything that she could have done about it, the fact that, that it illuminates that there actually was an issue. And the second thing that is it's just coming out now is uh, what was the legal relationship between the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton campaign and basically funneling fun, campaign funds into the uh, campaign, the, the Clinton campaign. Right. That could be very interesting. And at least one pretty smart lawyer has said, uh, hey, that, that's a violation of the um, uh, election laws, campaign laws. So that that's just coming out to be determined where that goes. But wow. she clearly opened up a Pandora's box uh and illuminated, at least within within the democratic structure, uh, quite a lot of tension between the between the two, at least two factions there. No, absolutely, boy, and and the frustration of some of the Bernie Sanders fans and advocates that were constantly saying something's going on here, this isn't right, something's not fair. The Democratic Party has it in against uh, Bernie. Boy, they were actually right. And that could disenfranchise or make you feel like, where do you turn? Where do you turn? Joe Cannon, thank you. We always turn to you because uh, Joe in the know, we call you. Again, you can find out more about Joe's work uh, at Fuel Freedom Foundation. Just go to fuelfreedom.org. Find out how he's trying to uh, lower the uh, fuel costs for all of us here in the United States. And we'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, you gotta love, you gotta love President Trump. He's in Japan, um, and uh, they've had a they've had a really good day so far. They've um, had some hamburgers. Went, did a little golfing. Well, it's the international dateline, so they may have yeah, been yesterday. That may have been yesterday. Today, yeah. they're actually uh, he and um, and Abe is that yes, his name? Abe, uh, the prime minister. Yes, and they 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 were did a little stop by a koi pond, and had a really magical moment standing by a beautiful koi pond, um, feeding these koi by uh-huh. hand. Yeah, and they were kind of like just scooping out. The feed. fish food or yeah. whatever, yeah, and um, it was beautiful. And then, <laughs> what did he do? And then um, they you... just—he got tired, I guess, of scooping, scooping. So he just Chucked pretty it. much dumped the whole box of feed. <laughs> the thing but, you don't so, do. So did Abe. So they both kind of okay. did it, but more people laughed when Trump did it. Hmm. I mean, the funny thing about koi—it's there—it's just a very calming, meditative thing to right. feed your koi okay at least he didn't fall in the koi pond like michael scott did on the office oh yeah that was bad so what you're saying is the president seemed to have got bored with the whole process yeah let's, like, let's hurry this up move on yeah. to the next thing it's okay. yeah it's like the trees what are the bonsai trees they, they're there for a meditative method of just getting back to your core and your center right and he was <laughs> sick of it and do you think he ever has the mindset of while he's doing something like this, like feeding the, the koi in the koi pond, right now I'm losing millions of dollars that I could be earning doing something else? Yeah. No, that's exactly what he was thinking. He also, he kind of was, um, he would he was talking to Abe, and so he'd take a spoonful of the feed, and then he'd look over, and then he'd just kind of toss it off out sideways, mm. and everybody, I guess, was laughing. But it's because... He's just his personality precedes him. They also sent uh, notice ahead to the countries they're visiting. The president is not a uh, fan of exotic foods. No, no, he doesn't he's want more. He, he more like he likes the foods he's comfortable with: steak, but, taco bowls, ice cream. So, but, but I guess I mean I'm not sure what that means when you show up to all these different locations. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. He, he one of the things he for sure he, the head. He doesn't want the head on the fish. Yes. So if you serve him any fish, there better not be a head on the fish. Get rid of that head. That's not a way to get ahead in life. It's <laughs> a great point. Um, also, though, wouldn't you want it that way? I mean, you're the president. So or, or do you have this need, this obligation to eat what well, they when, eat wherever you go. When a foreign dignitary comes to the White House, they plan a meal, and it's – sometimes it, it's a, a U.S. Yeah, kind like of an, centric. This is how we do it in America. Maybe they do like a Texas barbecue. Yeah. or But then uh, other times they do whatever food they like from that country, do a theme from whatever country the visiting dignitary yeah. from, and then you know, kind of a tribute to them and their, their culture. And so either way, I'm not sure. But I don't I, know what, I think, what foods would they pick well, in China to represent I to, America. I, I don't know. A bag of Cheetos I or used something? to travel a lot, and I would always eat the exact same thing every day. Yeah. Because it just made my life easier. Hmm. I'm not a big fan of eating over at somebody else's house because you all of a sudden have to eat something that they really like, but you yeah. probably don't. But if, yeah, if you're the president of the United States, you better believe you've got to eat whatever's put in front of you. And you got to feed the koi. 
It's or a, kill the koi, whichever. Feed the koi. Because, <laughs> you know, you over... Step in the bag. Wow, what's that? Breaking into song is what he's doing. Well, folks, uh, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy being president, I'm sure. But you do get to eat anything you want. And again, um, as unpopular as it might be, uh, we're going to pray for those people in Texas. You got to, you, what else can you do except be a good, decent human being and, uh, and pray for those that have been harmed in the shooting in Texas. And let's also continue to push some legislation for heaven's sakes. They still, I don't know if they've even passed any legislation from the Las Vegas shooting. And remember how enraged everybody was? And again, I don't know exactly what legislation you could pass, except for maybe you don't need bump stocks. You don't need some of these other things that uh, make it easier to shoot somebody. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang's all here. Ah, You'll be swell. (laughs) Trying to get this whole week started again. And for some reason... It's probably the heaviness of the news because of the Texas church shooting. But it's also, I think, by my hangover from the weekend. What were you doing? Well, I had my date night. That oh, was boy. Actually, that was way fun. You went on, so you count. went on a bit of a bender. I went on a bit of a bender with 850 people. Wow. And we had a great time. We laughed. We cried. It was better than cats. Those were the reviews. Really? Yeah. Tons You're using cats as the benchmark? No, but that's what they used. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's probably because it doesn't live up to Hamilton yet. Not quite there. But it's better than rent. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel really good about it. Um, no, but we had a great time. Learned a lot about how to bring happiness to your life. It was really fun. Found I, I, I was able to tell them my story about my dainty ankles. Your grankles. That's what you call them. But they're my Nana's ankles, and so I call them my Nanankles. By the way, uh, the last hour you mentioned wobbly knees or granny's knees. I think those are just called grannies. How come people only laugh at your jokes on the show? Well, they have good taste. Okay. I really want my own button. I want my, my own laugh button, one that I can push. I don't have one of those. Huh. Um, okay. So we got so I'm I'm also hungover I think because of the fall back thing. And maybe am I overslept? Like last night I had about 8 and a, or 7 and a half hours of sleep. <laughs> Settle down. They're just jealous. Don't make me get my shoe. <laughs> you don't have young kids. So I you know. don't I don't think you realize the gift that you've been given with that extra hour. It's Hopefully true. you didn't squander it. Well, I didn't, but I feel I feel lethargic. It's mm-hmm. like it's, it's my body is like, what are you doing to us, giving us an adequate amount of rest? Really? Maybe. Yeah. That's how my body talks. I feel like my body is going to boycott me pretty soon. Really? If I don't start getting more sleep. See, it probably will. And you, by the way, you're just getting started, my friend. 
My youngest is 12 years old, and now we go to bed and we don't care if anyone's even in bed. <laughs> the only reason I want everyone else in bed is so the lights are off because <laughs> I can't sleep if the lights are on. But it's it's really bad. I feel bad for our f- last three kids because our first three kids got a lot of attention. The last three, negligent. It's it's been really because yeah. I'm I'm the youngest of six. Yeah, I know, but that, I, was, that's the perfect... I was treated great. Yeah, but look how you turned out. What are you talking about? Anyway, we got a lot to cover today. Uh, we'll get you some more news on the Texas uh, church shooting, which uh, apparently now they are saying that the Texas shooter did shoot himself. It was mm. the headline on CNN News after being, I think, shot by a. Bystander. Would there have been any type of consequences for the bystander had he shot the shooter? I think probably they they would it would be investigated what happened, but then everyone would be like, yeah, not a problem. Yeah, but again, and, and this is this is what we always hear about is people are you know guns aren't the problem. People are safe if because you'd be even safer if somebody had a gun. Well, we were in Texas and somebody else did have a gun and it did end up driving the shooter away we we don't know why i mean maybe the shooter was going away anyway that's what makes this issue so difficult is because yeah there is that argument of well if we didn't make these guns available then this wouldn't have happened but also this gunman wouldn't have been taken out counterpoint to that yeah last week walmart in colorado guy walked in shot three people and left right right the police in that case said authorities said a few individuals drew handguns. They posed no physical hazard to officers, but their presence absolutely slowed the process of determining oh. who and how many suspects yeah. were involved in the shootings. And it took them five hours to identify the suspect instead yeah. of mm. just going after him. Yeah. They had to clear all these other people who were in the store with guns. That's the and that the, that's the other that's side. That's the of other that. side. Of yeah. It. But honestly, I don't. What would you rather have? I mean, if somebody in the place had a gun. Uh, You'd want them to produce it, right? Do something. And then quickly put it away. Yeah. And then, yeah, then you, boy, it's just a tragedy. I don't care how you look at it. And um, to this day, I think this is important, um, that bump stock, bump stock regulation. Do you remember that? The bump stock that was used in the Las Vegas shooting that allowed him to shoot so rapidly. Um Still, there's no regulation. There's still – remember, we were all saying that the NRA is kind of even willing to back it. Congress was getting into it. And everyone's backed away. Now they're saying, we'll wait till the investigation is over. They're acting oh, very, wow. you know, eh, maybe we're not going to yeah. do this after all. You, you couldn't get that passed? Uh, anyway, uh, we'll get to more of those headlines. Plus, of, of course, the other news story that is a big deal, I think, is Senator Rand Paul attacked in his own yard, in his own gated community. man was mowing his lawn. Mow, can a guy not mow his lawn? But he was attacked and five broken ribs. Not the, a pretty thing. The other side, Rand Paul mows his lawn. That's huh. a huge point. <laughs> That's, Go figure. Come on, Rand. I bet he won't mow it anymore. He's got to have kids, right? Not with neighbors like that. Boy, that is one home uh, – what do they call them? Home, homeowners, uh, homeowners Association that is way uptight. Right. They need to – He must not have edged it. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe he wasn't catching the clippings. <laughs> he was just mulching. Mm. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? I'm sad to tell you, to confirm at least at this moment in time, there are 26 lives that have been lost. That is the uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott last night at a press conference as he was at the scene of the deadly shooting at the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. In all, 26 dead, 20 injured. Pretty much everyone in the building was hit. 
Ah. I read last night that the whole thing lasted like 15 seconds. Rather quick. Wow. Guy just walked in, sprayed the room, walked out the door. Unbelievable. Uh, this is 30 miles east of San Antonio, which this took place during Sunday morning services. The victim's age ranged from 5 to 72. At this time, the motive is unknown. Now they're saying like the in-laws from his separated wife attended that church. They weren't there at the church, but that's kind of the church they attended. Wasn't attend. there, I think a, there was a visiting pastor that was filling in. He was killed. The The pastor's daughter, 14 years old, she died. Mm-hmm. Eight members of one family. Ah, They were killed in this. So uh, just a horrible, wow. horrible situation. A neighbor to the church engaged the shooter, firing him as he uh, left the building. They jumped in a. He jumped in a car with another citizen and took off after the guy. And they, he, I guess, the shooter ran into a ditch and then died. And now they're saying he shot himself. Oh yeah. And so the whole thing did, is did, just brutal. So did the citizen hero just chase him, or did he actually get a shot on? He him? shot at him, is the reports I've seen. Now whether he hit him or not, that's not but been then, determined yeah. as of yet. Oh brother. So uh, there is a report saying that he was denied a gun license. Yeah. And still was able to get a gun. I saw his Instagram where he was showing off his That's new AR-15. You're going mm. to get a gun if you want a gun, apparently. So I'm not sure what you do, but uh, that's just a... And then President Trump has situation. come out with a statement basically talking that it, it wasn't a gun issue, it's a mental health issue. And, and but, the criticism would be it's a, probably too early to make any yeah. definitive well, case either yeah. way. So. And, but we, I mean, I guess we do know it was a gun issue. <laughs> Well, yeah, mm. the he gun was gun. present. Yeah. yeah, it's the mental health side of it. Like that, we'll have to check yeah. into. Special Counsel Robert Mueller reportedly has enough evidence to charge former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and his son as part of the investigation into Russia election meddling. NBC News reports that Mueller's team is applying renewed pressure on Flynn after having charged former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort with conspiracy and money laundering, among other alleged crimes. Mueller's team reportedly is looking into whether Flynn laundered money or lied to federal agents about his overseas contacts. Hmm. This was interesting. Uh, what? Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary in the Trump administration, yeah. shares business interests with Vladimir Putin's immediate family. And he failed to clearly disclose those interests when he was being confirmed for his cabinet position. Hold it. The Wilbur Ross? Yeah, the Commerce Secretary. He has a tie to, to Putin? Vlad's family. No, exactly. Ross, a billionaire industrialist, retains an interest in shipping company Navigator Holdings that was partially owned by his former investment company. One of the Navigator's most important business relationships is with a Russian energy firm controlled by, in turn, by Putin's son-in-law and other members of the Russian president's inner circle. Ross denies these allegations, saying he fully disclosed his finances during the confirmation process. Oh. So there you go, both sides so of it. So taken but, care of. Well, maybe. Some <laughs> of the details of Ross's continuing financial holdings, much of which were not disclosed during his confirmation process. Remember, it was him, and then the Treasury Secretary walked in, and there was like several hundred million dollars of, oh, we just sort of forgot where those were. Yeah, well, I mean, but honestly. Happens all the time. Who hasn't lost a 20? Now, all of this is being revealed in a trove of 7 million internal documents from Apple by a Bermuda-based law firm that was leaked to a German newspaper. Do you remember oh, the Panama Papers? Yeah, yeah. These are called the Paradise Papers. We had a great mm. interview about the Panama Papers. We did. We had a it was a professor from here at BYU who had done a lot of research into these sort of offshore accounts. So you kinda... seven million documents have been released showing yeah. where everybody's hiding their money, and Wilbur Ross somehow comes up showing 
that he has ties to Russia. People like Bono have been shown to own malls in Lithuania, oh, and like the Queen, the Queen of England, I yeah. think, has some holdings that were revealed what, out of this. In, but in Las Vegas I'm, I'm casinos. Not sure. So actually, there's thir- <laughs> there's seven million internal documents from this one company. The whole the whole trove is about thirteen million. 13.4 million financial documents to throw a light on some of the world's uh, biggest offshore finance operations. The BBC calls it a week. They're going to have a week-long expose of how politicians, multinationals, celebrities, and high-net-worth individuals use complex structures to protect their cash from high taxes. Ooh. And Wilbur Ross is in the middle of all this. But he says he's fully, oh, he fully disclosed. I hope my name doesn't come up on that list. Mm. Let's see. Uh, multinational? No. Celebrity? Not really. Debatable. High net worth? Eh. Okay. Politician? No. I think you're okay. But I I do have a gym membership. Oh, wow. Oh, there you go. To Vasa. My mom says I have a very high net worth. Yeah. Yeah. Let's think. Those are are some things that moms say. To you. And finally, doctors in India remove 639 nails from a schizophrenic patient's intestine with a magnet. Oh. Uh, yeah. The 48-year-old had apparently gobbled down the two-inch spikes, which miraculously didn't pierce his digestive system on the way down. Doctors found them inside his intestines with an endoscop- endoscopy? Yeah, endoscopy. Mm-hmm. Endoscopy? Endoscopy? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know a lot about that. Endoscopy. And they Dude. cut him open to find hundreds of nails. The, vid- the video on the website yeah. shows the Calcutta Medical College fishing out two pounds of nails from his stomach. Wow. Surgery took place earlier this week, lasted one hour, 45 minutes. Ooh. Hopefully wow. he had like a Netflix movie to watch while he did that. No, I think he probably put him out. Yeah, he's probably asleep. Oh. Yeah. And that's, I've had, I've had an endoscopy procedure before. 639 nails. Nailed it. Oh. <laughs> he nailed it. Wow. But boy, uh, but again, see, again, that's a an issue of a, not a healthy person. Mm-hmm. That thinks they're going to consume nails, but luckily we have the technology because a hundred years ago, that would have just left him dead with a man angry that he ate all of his nails. You right. know, when I was looking at these weight loss games that I've partaken in, uh, I took a, a quick look at the nail diet, How'd considered that go? it. Yeah, I decided not to at the last. Well, minute. because you're actually putting on pounds. That's true. Right? Yeah. It's different. But there's a lot of uh, fiber in nails. I bite my nails. Iron. I just don't swallow yeah. them. <laughs> iron, yeah. A lot of iron. There's a lot of iron in that diet. Um, let's do – let's get to the headlines. We have more and we have more news today. It's a very news-packed day. Terry's mm. exhausted his version of headlines. Now let's right. get to Jeff's version, the empty news we call it. What so, you got for us today, Jeffrey? This is exciting. Yes. Uh, I, and Terry apparently knows about this. When you go to a Florida Panthers game, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. there's a chance that you They're could a hockey get... hockey team, by the way. Yeah. Uh, there's a chance that you could get hit in the face with an octopus. Oh, I thought you were going to say hockey puck. No. But that is apparently less likely to happen. Yeah. But anyway, um, we actually have Shik Shumway on the scene who's going to tell us a little bit about this story of this man who was hit in the face by an octopus. Shik, are you there? Thanks, Jeff. A Florida Panthers fan was hit in the head by a sea creature during Saturday's game in Sunrise. Charles Sternfield says he was standing for the national anthem when a 10-pound octopus struck him right in the face. <laughs> 
Wow, that's dedication. Sounds to, like Bill Cosby. Just soldier through your report. Yeah, a lot, a lot, hmm. a lot of lesser journalists would have just given up. Now, this is a Detroit Red Wing tradition. To throw the octopus, to throw the octopus on yeah. the ice. What's with the octopus, though? There's a whole history behind it. People just go to the. Isn't it a Viking thing? I don't know, but it has to do with the Detroit Red Wings, and they like to their fans when they get excited and they you know, will throw this octopus out there. Apparently, somebody threw the octopus and hit the Florida fan in the back of the head. Why oh, do? You, how, where, how? Where do you even buy an octopus? You just go to the seafood store. They have them right there. Yeah, they're a just right live there. octopus. Sure. Yeah, just wow. just look under the O's. Yeah, it's mm. it's alphabetical, obviously. Just, you go right in the store. You look. You start with the. But yeah, you catch an octopus anchovies. upside the back of the head. It's pretty bad. Go through the antelopes, then eventually you'll just get to the O's. Did you see antelopes? Mm. Yeah, you just go through the whole the whole animal kingdom, the whole shop. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Then once you're to the O's, then you've got to pick an octopus. Some of those are broad customer base there. More, more yeah. of the gamey yeah. sort of food there. Yeah. So speaking of animals, this is not a sea creature, but uh, I don't think we've done this one yet. Uh, apparently, did you know that deer can't read the signs that are on the side of the road? What? Since when? I thought I thought all animals could read. So apparently there's a large number of people that really think that the signs indicating that there are deers or deer crossing yeah. uh, is for the deer and not for the humans driving. Really? So now, Hold on. There's a lot of people that think that? Apparently there are enough people that are confusing these signs uh, that are warning drivers of deer wow. crossings that Iowa transportation officials were forced to offer some clarification. The yellow signs do appear similar, one with the silhouette of a deer and the other a pedestrian. But the DOT outlined the difference on Facebook. Question. Why don't you put these signs where it is safer for the deer to cross? Answer. Deer can't read signs. <laughs> drivers can. This sign isn't intended to tell deer where to cross. Oh. It's for drivers to be alert that deer have been in this area in the past. And then somebody from the DOT wrote, we actually get this question on a pretty regular basis. Really? The timing of the post is meant to warn drivers as breeding season begins. There have been 3,344 vehicular accidents involving animals between January 1st and October 23rd, killing one person and injuring 156 others in Iowa. And by the way, wouldn't the signs, if they were for the deer, be pointing toward... You know, the away, away from the road. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, uh, and my, they're colorblind anyway, so they wouldn't right, see yellow. Right. Yeah. Plus, I, I mean, they the better way to do it would probably be to you know have flyers that they could just take out of a little little take a flyer. Sure. The, you know, just, maybe at the deer, just stick it on their antler at the deer just meetings. Punch it. Maybe the when the deers there, yeah. gather for their you know their regular meeting, maybe their caucuses. Well, what else are those park rangers doing? They've got time to do that. Yeah. They can distribute those. Yeah. My kids my kids can't figure out why there's so many deer that take naps on the road. Mm. Like hmm. the side of the road. There's always – especially right now, this time yeah. of year in Utah, there's always a deer somewhere just taking a long wintry nap on the side of the road. Just after they've had a bowl of uh, jam. Well, yeah. And it, a little they, bit of it spills out of their mouth. Yeah. I haven't thought of that that way.
in that much detail. But Haven't you ever fallen asleep while eating a, a big bowl of jam? Honestly, no. Wow. But I that's just the story we tell our kids because I don't I don't want my kids to think that animals get hit by cars. So I just say they just sleep. Just taking a nap. Look at that deer taking a nap right there. But with the jam. I never thought of the jam. Anyway, that's a great insight. Uh, I'm, I appreciate Shik Shumway risking his life uh, to have an octopus thrown at him. But he did end up sounding a little bit like Bill Cosby. When you get the octopus in the face, what you gotta do is soldier through it. Up next, folks, we're going to be talking about uh, rethinking your knowledge. Now that you have Google on board and you can know anything you want in the world, what is it you really need to know? Straight ahead. Are you a fact checker? According to Google, the search engine performs over 3.5 billion searches per day. That's about 40,000 searches per second. Our society has the ability to get answers to all sorts of weird questions. With all this information, one truly important question to consider, one that you can't search on Google, is this. What are we really learning? A few months ago, I spoke with Dr. David Weinberger, who's a senior researcher at the Berkman Klein Center at Harvard University. He is the author of Too Big to Know, Rethinking Knowledge Now That Facts Aren't the Facts, Experts Aren't Everywhere, and the Smartest Person in the Room is the room. I began the interview by asking if the amount of information available is too overwhelming to be useful. No, um, and, I, and I'm not sure how overwhelming it is. Um, I'm not overwhelmed, and I doubt that you actually feel overwhelmed, and I bet that most of your listeners, except that we're constantly told that we're overwhelmed, mm. don't actually feel overwhelmed, because we go to the sites that we go to, we ask the questions that we want, that we want answers to. We have our, most of us, I think, at this point, have developed our ways in which we get our news and uh, have more extended discussions. I think a lot of times the the discussion about uh, the idea that we are overwhelmed, uh, uh, the concept of information uh, over being overwhelmed does have a little history, and in part it's, it's due to that, but I think it's also in part due to maybe focusing too much on facts, because uh, facts are not knowledge, as you say, um, and most of what we do on the net or that we do in our life, and this has always been the case, is, has nothing to do with gathering facts. We do that occasionally, and the Internet is fantastic at it. Right. The fact that you can get this information, you're carrying it around in your pocket on, on your phone, um, is is awesome, but that for me is really just the that's just the beginning. And to think that that what if you're looking for knowledge on that, that you should look at um, where we're gathering facts, I think does a disservice to to knowledge and to um, what's happening on the net. So what? I would look other places. Uh, you know, I would look at um, discussion forums. Um, uh, Stack Overflow. If you are a, if you're a developer, if you're a programmer, which is an amazing site that millions of developers go to, where you can ask a question and an anonymous community uh, gives answers. You know, uh, how do I do this in this or that programming language? Hmm. It's, a, it's an amazing resource, but it's not about facts. It's a little bit more about conversation and discussion. 
So, um, there's so many sites like that. And that's where I think you can see a real change in what knowledge is um, occurring. And it seems like it's kind of a – it is flowing in a conversation. Um, I guess that's the – I guess the, the overwhelm that I see is when you go trying to research an idea – um, I, or my kids are trying to research an idea and all of a sudden 35,000 sites come up or sources to go find out information and the first six of them are marketed. Um, how do we sort through the knowledge that matters, the information that matters? Uh, we are still figuring that out and it is the – and it is absolutely something that you have to – children or none of us do naturally. Right. None of us is natural no. behavior. It never was. Right? I mean, so that's why we have schools, for example. Um, so we do have to be care, uh, thinking really carefully about uh, how we teach our children how to use this awesome and bewildering at times and dangerous at times resource. So, yeah. And, and – so there's a lot of people thinking about that, um, but there's also every site um, is maybe too much of a generalization, but not that much. I mean, every site has ways to guide you to the information that it wants you to to find. And if the site is on your side, then it's not giving you corrupt uh, information that somebody has paid them to promote. And you know, Google and the search engines, the big search engines, um, do a pretty good job of marking. Um, the the results that they're giving you that are, in fact, advertisements. Hmm. Uh, they do a pretty good job. Um, and there are sites that absolutely do want to fool you. I mean, you know, they give you information as if it weren't paid, and they get very, very good at doing that, unfortunately. Yeah. But how, you know, how, do, you fi- how do you find the information that's reliable? It's something that we need to learn, and we talk about this amongst ourselves all the time, and it should be a very active topic in every classroom at this point. Right. But it's also something that sites have been dealing with now for 20 years. How do we get the right information to our users? Um, uh, there's not an easy or single answer to this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does You actually have a hierarchy that you mentioned, um, a data, information, knowledge, wisdom hierarchy. Maybe walk us through that. What do you mean by that? Well, that's actually an idea that uh, that comes out of um, from the 1990s, and it's an idea I think, I think is fundamentally wrong. So it's a hierarchy that if you go to business strategy meetings, you see put up on the board all the time. Um, and the, the idea, which I think is a wrong idea, the idea is that data is all of the data in the world, and then you refine the data, mm. you filter it, you get information, you refine the information, you get knowledge, you refine the knowledge, you get wisdom. And I think basically none of that is true. And the thing that's most you can have all the information in the world and not have any knowledge, and you can have all the knowledge in the world, and you just you just don't know it all. That's right. nothing to do with right. leading to wisdom. Um, for me, the the really important way this goes wrong is it's that's described as a pyramid with data at the bottom and wisdom at the top because you're filtering um, at each step, and that's how we had to do things when knowledge was communicated and preserved on paper. Paper is expensive; it's it's bulky. Um, and so we've had over the over the centuries, um, we've we've pursued knowledge by having to filter out most of the stuff. Or very few manuscripts actually get published, and very few of those make it into a library. Just hmm. physically, you know, it's expensive, and the library would have to be the size of you know multiple football stadiums. So we've managed knowledge by reducing it. And now for the first time, and we've paid an enormous cost for doing that. I mean, obviously there are benefits, but we've paid a 
big price because all sorts of voices that should have been heard but didn't have access to the presses simply weren't heard. Right. I mean, a quick way to put it is uh, you know, old white men basically decided in the West what we heard. Voices were squelched um, with good intentions by the old white men, but, you know, yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. Um, and now we don't, have, we don't have to do that. We don't have to filter on the way in. We don't have to reduce everything. So if, if I'm a blogger, just a quick example, if I'm a blogger and I want to post my top ten list of great resources about economics, online, you know, whatever, or politics or, or anything, I can do that and I'll put in my links. But so I, I have filtered it. That's exactly what I've done, right? I've gone through the mass and I said, here are the 10 that are really good. Right. But I haven't removed anything. It's not like a publisher who won't publish a manuscript and now you can't find it. That's the old type of filtering. On the Internet, we filter not out, but we filter forward. So when I put in those links, that list of 10, all I've done is shorten the number of clicks that it takes you to get to those 10. But the other million things I could have cited, they're still there. Mm-hmm. And you can find them in a search. You can find, you know, somebody else links to them. Yeah. So we no longer have to filter out. It's no longer a reductive idea of knowledge. It's an inclusive idea of knowledge. And I think that fundamentally changes everything. Oh, yeah. Isn't that interesting? And um, the book, your book uh, that you co-authored, The Clue Train Manifesto, I mean, that, how, when did that come out? Ten years ago? Oh, <laughs> uh, 2000. Was, was it 2000? I remember reading that on an airplane because I had studied dialogue theory and the importance of communication and, you know, kind of group think. And I thought, holy cow, this is the turn of understanding. So, so maybe explain to us what, what, what are the skills that we need in today's day and age to manage the flow of information and, and, the, and really because like you were saying, it's almost a conversation that needs to be had um, through this process with other like-minded people in chat groups or or other groups. Maybe explain what are some of the tools that would help us facilitate our understanding better? Well, it's, it's, it's a great question. It's, um, it's the big question. Yeah, huge so, question. Um, for one thing, the um, recognizing the importance of conversation is a way in which humans make sense of their world. Right? right, right. That's what talking does, right? It's really, really important. And it's very different from the old idea in the age of paper, where just because of the nature of paper, a single person got to speak, and you read it, and you couldn't respond. And was, Books are not a conversational medium, and there are, obviously there are advantages to books, but... And this is something, by the way, that Socrates noted you know, 2,500 years ago when he was arguing against literacy, writing things down. It was you write something down and you cannot have a conversation with the author. Mm. So recognizing the importance of conversation. Second thing is also recognizing that the Internet is a global space. You can talk with anybody around the world, but we are all local creatures. That is, our... It's not, it's not even our set of beliefs that are relatively local, local to your nation, to your community, to your faith, to your parents. It's also just the mechanics of talking, how you have a conversation, um, how long you're allowed to talk before somebody can interrupt, how off-topic you're allowed to go, how, how funny you're allowed to be, and in what sort of humor mm-hmm. can you tease. You, know, you think you're just teasing, but somebody from another culture, which might actually just be 
you know, 100 miles away, or but it might be uh, 5,000 miles away. Right. You're, te- you're teasing. They think you're being abusive, and you are being abusive in their culture. Right. Um, so recognizing that conversations are very delicate, and the mechanics of them are governed by local rules that that you inhabit, you don't even recognize them. So being um, aware of that and deferential and careful and respectful and treating people with dignity are all requirements simply for having a conversation. Um, If you are providing information, um, you're putting up a site, then one of the things I think to keep in mind is that in the old days when resources were constrained, if you were a library, you would filter on the way in. So you would decide which books are going to make it in, which ones aren't. Um, On the Internet, it's generally both better and less expensive to include everything. Put everything in. Don't decide ahead of time what Mm. your users are going to be interested in because nobody can know what people are going to be interested in. Right. That's true, huh? You don't need to edit it as much. Just get it out there. Get it out there and then give them good ways of, of, of finding it. You know, um, yeah, you and know, sorting it, yeah. Uh, let the, yes, let them sort it. Yeah, exactly, yeah, so, yeah, methods that they can do that easily. Uh, yes. So, in a, you know, I've, I've spent about the past five years in library technology and physical libraries, which are, you know, I, I love, but they have this terrible constraint, which is every book has to go on only one shelf. <laughs> and yeah. that's not how books work. That's not a natural thing for books. Not a natural thing for all the stuff at Amazon either. That's right. Um, they, they, people think about how to cluster things differently based upon their, their needs. Um, so if you can avoid making a single choice about what category to put something in and to let somebody do a, even a complex search where they're specifying things that matter to them but you could not have anticipated would matter to them, that's a far, far better thing to do. And that's very common on the, on the net now. But it's a very different way of thinking about how the world is organized. That's right. We were about efficiencies, huh, with paper, I guess, and, and typesetting where you had to actually set all the type. Use your words carefully. But now you're saying it can be abundant. Get everything out there. And it doesn't – everything doesn't have to be in its place. I mean everything can be where it needs to be and just make it sortable, accessible. Exactly. And even the idea of thinking that things have a place. Yeah. I mean that's the problem. They don't. Um, it depends. Things place. It depends upon what you are trying to do. Uh, yeah. If you're in a grocery store and they have you know the normal way of sorting, but you don't want to see anything that has gluten in it, or you don't want to see anything that has salt or sugar, or they can't sort it all those ways for you. Right. Everything has to be you know. But you can electronically. You can digitally. You can. So the information uh, world can is is maybe in a way more fit for the way our brain actually operates? Um, it, it well might be. Okay. Um, it has an important effect on knowledge, though, if I can bring it back to yeah. that. Because in the West, um, ever since the Greeks, and this is, I think, clearest than Aristotle, we've had the idea that to know what something is, is to know its essence, that, which is a definition. Yeah. So we are the rational animals, and birds are the feathered bipeds. You know, two-legged animals mm-hmm. have feathers, um, and that's it, that's what knowing what those things are. It's knowing the single place of things in the in the grand structure of the universe, 
And so if, in fact, the, the reason that we've had to sort things physically into single places is simply that they're physical, they can only be in one place at a time, then maybe our idea of knowledge as finding the single place of things in the grand logic and order of the universe, maybe that idea arose from the limitations of the physical. Hmm. And now that things don't have to have a single place or a single definition or a single way of finding them, it changes our idea of what constitutes knowledge. And I think, personally, I think in a useful way. It is impacting society today because the youngsters are doing that. They're reading everything online. They're finding out stuff. They're questioning institutions. They're questioning, you know, the need for an education. They're uh, they're actually they're thinking. They're not they're not just in this lockstep model. So I don't think it's an accident. Just as exactly as this is happening at the same time. Um, behavioral economics and, and the like are discovering that our brains are unreliable instruments that left to themselves our brains will uh, look for confirmation of what we already believe they will um, people tend to it actually turns out the less you know about something the more convinced you are that you're an expert and this is just, it's like optical illusions you know, it's just something your brain does because mm. the brain was not created to, to to do what we want it to do to understand the world. So it, while I completely agree with you, and I'm very enthusiastic about what's happening to knowledge on the net because people do connect and they do talk with one another and they ask questions and they, they chip in what they know, um, and it's become conversational, which I think is just a huge yeah. reward for us. At the same time, we have to be very careful that our brains aren't fooling us into believing um, falsehoods that we we like to believe. Right. That fit our bias or, yeah, yeah, right. Confirmation bias. Yeah, exactly. It's very dangerous. Um, I have a friend named Ethan Zuckerman who has a book called Digital Cosmopolitans, um, and he he shares the... My enthusiasm for the internet. He loves the internet, but he is a pretty serious researcher, and he has good evidence that even though the internet lets us connect with anybody around the world, yeah, all around the world we're not doing that. Um, we are sticking with with our uh, yeah people who are like us, right? Oh, that's uh, true. Whatever you, however you want to define that, mm-hmm. we talk. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're not broadening our horizons. We're just deepening our hole. So that's a really nice way of putting it. I'd want to maybe not be that extreme about <laughs> yeah. it. But we, 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 do. we, we like what we hear, so we keep going to that more. Uh, yes. Mm. Um, and you're just warning us, be that, careful. I, I am. Um, I also think, though, that this complaint about the Internet, which I take very seriously, I think it's one of the most serious of the complaints, um, maybe... That is that we we listen to people who are like us. We hang. It, it maybe misunderstands how understanding itself works, at least as I understand it. So that um, if you, oh, I don't know, if you um, are, let's take politics. You're on the left. You're on the right. Doesn't matter whichever one. And there's a Supreme Court ruling, and it's technical, and you don't understand exactly what it means. Mm-hmm. Does it help or does it you know does it help my side? You are. Very. First of all, you're very likely to go to a site that shares your political point of view. Yeah. Um, 
Now, in one sense, that's bad. But on the other hand, no, of course you are. Of course you are. You're not, you know, if you're, if you're sort of a Fox News person, you're going to go to a Fox News type of site to understand it. And if you're, uh, you know, MSNBC or whatever the other one is, um, you'll go to that side. Because understanding is contextual. Understanding takes something new and assimilates it into an existing context. And that's how understanding, that's, that's how understanding works. Yeah. It's not surprising, and I don't think it's, nece- it's, it's necessarily evil, that we hang out with people who share our beliefs and our values, because that's how we understand things. Right, right. It, so there's a benefit, but it's limiting. Yes, exactly. Both those things. Yeah. Um, so our expectations that we would all become global citizens um, from the early days of the web, uh, maybe those are unrealistic. Uh-huh. Um, it would be more more realistic to hope that we will, in addition to seeking out beliefs that are like ours and people who are like us, we will also learn how to listen to people who are not like us. Yeah. And that is a, that's a hugely important thing, but it's also really, really hard to do. Because you don't have the context you do, mm-hmm. to, to understand. No, and yeah, and you almost do need you need a little guidance on the way. Go look up the Clue Train Manifesto and and the great works of uh, Dr. David Weinberger. I mean, really, uh, you're a forward thinker on this, and um, I think it's great that we stretch our brain this way. David, thank you so much again for being with us. Oh, thanks, thanks for having me. One, wonderful, wonderful stuff, um, folks. We, it's a tool. It's a great, powerful, incredible tool. And know your bias, know your tendency, and we need we need the support groups that we love to go to. We also need to be willing to stretch and look into other areas to broaden our minds as well. Yes, it's uh, it's time for more empty news. When we come back, I mean, we're we're back. <laughs> Why I suddenly come back? Uh, but uh, Jeff Simpson's going to educate us on uh, some of the crazy things going on around the world. So I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I'm not familiar with how to do something, I'll take to Google. You know, how do I fix such and such yeah. on my car? How do I fix such and such on my computer? Like our guest just taught us. Yeah. Well, yeah. apparently there's a guy that uh, went on to Google to find out how to rob a bank. Oh, really? Do you just search? How does one rob a bank? How to rob a bank is exactly what he put in there. Oh, boy. So the uh, sheriff's deputies arrested a Florida man accused of robbing a bank last week, then using the the money on utilities, rent, and other items. Yeah, he was in need. True. True. So you're a little more sympathetic (laughs) toward this man. I mean, it's not the smartest way. Right. So according to the report, William Joe Johnson, 26, on Thursday stole an undisclosed amount of money from a bank. Johnson entered the bank just before 11 a.m., approached the teller, implied he had a gun, and told the teller to give him cash, according to deputies. He ran from the store with the cash after an investigation. Deputies found him at the hotel. In an interview, detectives said Johnson told them he was in need of money and searched on Google how to rob a bank. Well, he should have searched on Google how to make money. Or how to rob a bank, dot, 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 and not get caught. 
Yeah, always, that's a really important point. Always finish your search. I think that there are people out there, police even, that will watch for some of these Google searches. Yeah. Like somebody that would Google how to how to build a bomb, for instance. Mm-hmm. I think they're watching out for stuff like that. Well, and so also are the multi-level marketers who, uh, <laughs> who are watching out for people that want to rob. That's one of the hottest searches. I want to find everybody who wants to rob a bank so I could go offer them an opportunity to be in my downline. Because <laughs> if I can get two <sighs> in my downline and they get two in their downline. So not the smartest idea. OK. Yeah. Okay. Good lesson. Um, this is kind of a touching story in a way. OK. In a way. Um, you know, because when you've shared uh, a moment like this, I, I guess you feel some sort of camaraderie. Yeah. Toward your fellow partners in crime. Right. So surveillance video captured three Virginia men breaking into cars, then embracing after realizing what was inside. Oh. A woman said her daughter-in-law forgot to lock her car doors. Thieves broke in and stole the rent money out of her pocketbook. Rude. Mm. Early Tuesday morning. They uh, were so obviously happy with their heist because they began hugging, which was all caught on camera. Ho, ho, ho. So you, you're you saying this is moving? They, they're they hugging because they they got a good cat. They got a lot of cash. They, they, they stole a lot of money. How many of the world's problems, though, would be fixed if we all just embraced one another from time to time? Well, sure, but not after you stole money and broke into a car. I think you're, you're, you're missing the point here. Like... There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that um, you know that were actually not happy because her car was broken into. The mother, the daughter, the person that she was going to pay rent to. But then this this woman was hugging. probably crying, and then somebody embraced her. So there was a lot of embracing due to this. So, event. You, so your point is, if we commit a crime, <laughs> it's not all bad because it would be a chance to embrace. I just want us to find the silver lining. In this terrible crime. Well, maybe maybe the silver lining that could just be that we arrest those three guys and then they can just hug all they want in prison. I wouldn't want a prison hug. That's a different <laughs> kind of hug. It's a great point. Yeah, that's a different song right there. Okay, well, great. Lessons from Jeffrey Leland Simpson on the pains of life that bring the pleasure of a hug. Except not a prison hug. <laughs> Good stuff. We'll take a break. McKenna Bouse is up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's the House of Bouse. Yes, it is. It's the House of Bouse, which means McKenna Bouse is here, and uh, she's going to be doing a little mind bender with us. She likes to stretch our brains a bit. That I do. How are you, McKenna? I'm doing well, you? Excellent. Good, good. I just learned about the importance of a good hug. I love a good hug. (laughs) Yep. Um, Talk to me about uh, grid. I guess apparently entire cities are going off the grid. Yeah, so going off the grid is something we've heard about for a while now. The idea that people are trying to, you know, maybe put solar panels on their roof, Finding ways to be a little more self-sustainable. Right. Um, But we're seeing trends now, especially in Japan, where entire towns are trying to go off the grid, where they aren't reliant 
on those main power grids and huge power plants. That so the entire city is, is like well, they're just finding some alternative source of energy? Yeah. So uh, what's happening is with a lot of these cities, they're installing more solar panels throughout the city. They're using sort of mini power stations. Yeah. They've got wind power you know, turbines set up, things like that. And a lot of this was sort of spurred by the after effects of this 2011 earthquake and tsunami. Oh, yeah. Because if a power station went out, huge areas. Oh, yeah. Were it out all of power. goes out. Exactly. That's, yeah. And so what's happening is a lot of these cities are looking at becoming more safe and having more reliable power by keeping things localized so you're not subject to those widespread That seems like a kind of a a smart idea, right? Like a no-brainer. If every city could be self-sufficient... Then it would make a lot of sense. And and then then you could still share resources as you have abundance. Mm -hmm. But if it all starts to go down, every city could just play for themselves. Exactly. And so for these cities that are going off the grid, they still have, in a lot of cases... Abilities to connect to that larger, you know, that larger grid, but they don't have to. That's amazing. And it's really cool because while this is something that's been picking up in Japan, it's also something that's being talked about uh, about being established in Puerto Rico in response to these cities that have been out of power for ages. Well, don't we tell individuals that there's going to the cities won't be able to support you, so you better be self sufficient. Yeah. So if if we're telling individuals to be self sufficient. Communities should be self-sufficient. Villages should be. Cities could be. Mm-hmm. I mean – and then really, then everyone can take care of themselves and then turn to the neighbor and start helping the neighbor. Exactly. You know, if having a generator in your garage is something that, you know, you're encouraged to do. Yeah, having absolutely. some kind of way to get the basic functions working, then it only makes sense that our That's cities cool. should be doing the same thing. And then we probably ought to start pushing our own cities here in the U.S. to do it. Exactly. And the nice thing about this is because it's small scale, it's easier to make it uh, relying on clean energy. Yeah. And it's a way to sort of start that process um, because it's easier to create enough energy for just one town using that than using clean energy to power you know huge areas. You got to love it. McKenna Baus, twisting our brains a bit. That's the goal. Stretching them to a whole new level that we will never return back to the old brain. Thanks, McKenna. McKenna Baus, Baus in the house, helping us all understand the power of self-sufficiency. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. It's the House of Baus. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered doing what we can to give you a leg up on this, uh, again, crazy sad news day. Um, again, we're talking about Texas killer that shot 26 people in their house of worship. I mean, of all places you think you're safe is going to church. Right. We had a a, a church near me where a hang glider tragically lost his life and fell and actually crashed into 
Ooh. the roof of their church during church, like last year. It was tra- – and that was – So people were in the building they were in when the he building crashed. having oh their goodness. meetings and this poor man crashed right into the roof and that was tragic. I cannot imagine gunfire now. People are sitting there saying, well, this is why you need more guns in churches is what the <laughs> attorney general apparently – He said that? Uh, yeah, the attorney wow. general of Texas. That was one of his big points is we need more guns in churches now. Mm. Not sure. I'm not sure that that's the answer, right? Uh, again, President Trump saying this is a mental health issue, not a gun issue. We do know guns were involved, so it some way was a gun issue. But it's a complicated issue. By the way, just like every other one that has gone before, and folks, don't let's not divide it. Let's not make this divisive. Let's just start figuring out what we can do to be, I guess, better people. And by the way, you're never going to get away from tragedy. And we don't need to make it worse. It's just sad. Point. 26 people dead. Um, the pastor, uh, a visiting pastor was killed in the, in his, while he was working there. Um, also, the daughter of a pastor was, was killed. Eight people from one family. I heard the story of a woman who uh, has six children and one on the way. And for some reason or another, could not make it to church that day. Ah. Uh. So that could have been a big loss, too. Absolutely. Our hero of the day that we'll talk about later today was from the, uh, the This Massacre. So lots of uh, – again, as always is the case, when you have these tragedies, you also have amazing heroic stories. Um, part of the, the heroism was uh, just a passerby heard the shooting, pulled out a gun and started chasing and, and eventually – and I guess shooting at the shooter. And eventually the guy ran away, drove away, crashed his car, and then they believe, I guess he shot himself. So, ah, but can you imagine, and I heard on CNN, the actual um, police chief, the sheriff in that area, just it's just a small town, 300 plus people near San Antonio, and this poor sheriff now is dealing with the biggest event ever. It is crazy to think that both the... The villain and the hero of this story both had guns. Yeah. It's crazy. And that it's just that's well, and it's Texas, right? Which and guns yeah. are normal and natural, but a woman that said she's been shooting guns her entire life has never heard anything quite like it. Because it all you know, apparently everybody was shot within like thirty seconds. Less than thirty seconds, and she said it was unbelievable what she was hearing. And to, right, right, to try to make sense of it, that it's coming from the church. So I'm sure we'll find out more and more um, uh, news as, this, as we go along. Again, our prayers go out. Many people don't like that phrase, but that's all we've got to give, really, our prayers. And some push on our legislators and legislation to do something. Again, no legislative moves have really come out of what happened in Las Vegas – a month or so ago, and remember what everyone was so gung ho on, on those bump bump stocks. Was that what they call it? A bump stock, which made it easier for the shooter to in Vegas to shoot a lot of people. Well, nothing's happened with that. Do you think the fact that the person that was able to subdue this guy had a gun? Do you think that's going to play into the difficulty of making this decision? I don't know anymore because when when the uh, I guess the attorney general of Texas is coming out saying we need more guns in churches. Like hmm. that's just – that seems like the – maybe not the right direction. We don't need to arm more people. It, it just – it seems counterintuitive. 
began and again like we talked about with Joe Cannon earlier today there might not be you can't you can't legislate morality your laws are not going to make True. people more moral it's tough though because as you said this guy was uh turned down for a, a gun license yeah. right but he, he got one license. anyway if you want one bad yeah, right yeah there's a way You're when there's a will a there's a way well there's this interweb you may not have heard of it it's the it's the internet and uh, and hmm. and the and it's not going away apparently Homer Simpson even said so. <laughs> it's here to stay. Ah, oh, tragedy. So we'll get to that story in the headlines with Terry. Um, plus, also, I'm feeling really bad. I don't know this Rand Paul thing. Senator Rand Paul tackled by his neighbor. While uh, he's mowing his lawn. While he was out mowing his lawn. Breaks yeah. five ribs. Yeah. I mean, I feel for the guy. It's, it's, a, it's a pain in the side. It's a pain in the side. And ribs don't heal Sorry. very easily. No, so that don't. poor guy is going to be. He's in one of the wraps where they they wrap uh, really tight around the ribs and you can't you, breathe. Hey, and so a little shout out if you're listening, don't go hug Rand Paul right now. He's going to be crankier than usual. Yeah, <laughs> he's not always cranky. A little bit. Do you see him happy? Well, I'm granted. No one's ever calling him up to say, "Hey, this great thing happened." Yeah, it's but, always like, "Why do you disagree with the president?" Or well, what do you think you about this idea? What do you think about this idea? Yeah. Well, now he's he's at least going to have probably a month off. Lucky. Just a break. Well, it's not the kind of – it's not how have, I would choose to have a break. They have like 15 working days till the end of the year. I know, but see, now now he's got the rest of the year off. Oh, great. <laughs> He'll show up on days they need to vote, maybe a tax package or something. They'll just have to wheel him in because it's, you know. Yeah, it's been done before. Okay, let's get to the headlines, Terry. We haven't fully found out the information from yesterday and what it means and where we can make an impact. Senator Jeff Flake said Sunday uh, – said of Sunday's deadly mass shooting – at a Texas church, he was on CNN this morning being interviewed. He said, I think what will come of this uh, to light is that we need better information sharing, if nothing else, in terms of criminal convictions or background check issues. We don't have a good system now. The mix, the system is mixed. We don't share information like we should between local and federal agencies. Apparently, the shooter was uh, dishonorably discharged. And with a certain way that he was kicked out of the military, he shouldn't have been able to get again. There was a domestic violence situation. But he he got again anyway. It's all the same thing. It's they're saying the exact same thing at every other shooting. And the irony of this one, it doesn't matter that he shouldn't have had a gun, but right. he because because he did have a gun. But he's saying if there's a problem, we should look into it. Flake went on to say Congress should and will be exploring changes in those areas of gun policy as a better picture of what happened in Texas emerges. Still, he added referencing his own experience in the congressional baseball practice shooting in June. Political action is Mm. not the sole solution. Sometimes there are things that would matter in terms of what Congress does, Flake said, but sometimes it's more of a cultural issue or just a matter of discourse and how we treat each other. Yeah. You know, keeping people from getting just angry enough to go out there and I shoot I forgot people. about Congress's shooting. I mean, seriously, we've had a, a, a major news story right. with a shooting every month. And you can go all the way back to Sandy Hook. Yeah. Nothing's well, been and done, probably, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, former Democratic National Committee Interim Chair Donna Brazil said Sunday that she'd found no evidence, none whatsoever, that the 2016 Democratic primary process was rigged on Hillary Clinton's behalf which goes against a recent assertion to that effect from uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren. The only thing I found, which I said I found, is the cancer, but I'm still not killing the patient, was in the memorandum and prevented the DNC from running its own operation, Brazil explained in an appearance on ABC News. She was referencing the revelation in an excerpt from her forthcoming book published this past week that the Clinton campaign took control of the DNC funds months before Clinton clinched the nomination over Bernie Sanders. So she's saying it wasn't rigged, it just wasn't fair. 
Uh, 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 is there a difference? Apparently there is. <laughs> okay, just checking. She's not going so far as to say that they had basically picked Hillary Clinton to win. What they're saying is they gave her an unfair advantage. Right, and they gave her access to all the funds. And then Donna Brazil was giving her and like the leadership possible okay. questions, to but not rigged. Too. Yeah, it's not okay. rigged. Senator Lindsey Graham said Sunday that Attorney General Jeff Sessions needs to return to the Senate Judiciary Committee to answer questions about alleged collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia after recent revelations suggest that Sessions' previous statements were false. Jeff, you need to tell us everything you know about Russia. So yeah, he probably should come back and answer the question yet again. Did you know anything about an effort by the Trump campaign to meet with Russia? Not just collude with Russia, Graham told Chris Wallace on Fox News, mm. uh, issuing a direct appeal to the Attorney General. This is getting a bit old with Jeff Sessions, he continued. You mean Jeffrey Beauregard Beauregard Sessions. <laughs> okay. And finally, as we all have been uh, dealing with the effects of uh, falling back, Ah, of daylight savings. I, I don't know why I'm so tired. There are some physical effects that people oh. experience okay. when it comes to falling back, springing forward, messing yeah. with time. Okay, good. So uh, it can worsen depression. A mm. Danish study examined uh, 185,000 people diagnosed mm. with depression between 95 and 2012, expecting to find increased depression rates as days got shorter, but they were surprised by the huge spike right after the time change. The research controlled for variables like day length and weather, which they say confirms that 8% rise in depression diagnosis was not a coincidence. And while their study focuses on people with severe depression, the authors say the time shift likely affects the entire spectrum of severity. I would think more people would be depressed that they're having to spring forward. But it's more probably that it might be the light, right? Yeah, it's a daylight effect. It's a physical effect. You need the daylight. Uh, Another one is you're more likely to have a heart attack. Because the, physically you're, you're dealing with this. It says when, when one's circadian rhythm is disrupted even a little, sleeping and eating patterns can go haywire. There's even a growing body of research examining the long-term adverse health effects of disrupted circadian rhythm can have like Ooh. an increased chance of cardiovascular events, obesity, and correlation with neurological problems like depression and bipolar <gasps> disorder. So maybe I was being compelled without my knowledge to drink those two shakes over the weekend. Oh, yeah, totally. That's why you that were wasn't so me. shaky. That wasn't my choice. Yeah, and that's why I'm having a, a tightness in my chest. And I'm not even Rand Paul. Could be. This is interesting. They're talking so about this is actual health issues mm-hmm. coming because but of But it's a, just a slight shift. A, so it'll yeah. affect some people. Most yeah. people probably no big deal. Don't even but notice if, it. But if, if, if shift there's some people that must have eight hours of sleep. Yeah. If I they don't I'm get eight hours, they're just unbearable to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Maybe me. these are the people. Uh, some like, people don't even have a sleeping problem and they're unbearable to deal with. It says you're more likely to be in a car accident. Oh, really? The sudden change in light, which we're used to a gradual shift, our melatonin levels get out of whack. Most people's melatonin peaks at 8 p.m. all the way through 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. It starts diminishing. If you're then putting the clocks back, you're inducing more sleepiness earlier in the evening when you're driving home in the evenings from work. Oh, boy. Now, you ought to pay attention to that because you've had driving problems. I have. This was when I was working two jobs, 12 hours a day. Yeah. Getting up at 3 in the morning, going to bed at, what, 10.30? Those are just irrelevant details. Right. And then I drove my truck into the cement barrier and ruined Would the suspension. Would somebody wake Jeff up? I'm so tired. So, so suddenly oh, there's a lot of awake. slightly tired drivers possibly driving home in the dark for the first time in a half a year. Mm. 
this, uh, says we have to compare that with when it happens on Monday after the time change. But what yeah. they're saying is the numbers, you're, you're introducing a situation where people are slightly more sleepy, just, just a little bit. Yeah. You just pay attention. But why would they be more sleepy? Because it seems like they'd be getting more sleep. It's the melatonin level that peaks. Makes them feel like they're. Normally at around 8 p.m., right, but right. now it's going to peak around 7. Yeah. Because you just shifted. So there's just that little, that little shift. shift. And you're more likely to get mugged. Oh, great. What? Criminology students at University of Pennsylvania were surprised to find uh. that crime rose 3% after the clocks were turned back an hour. They thought sleep dep- deprivation would increase crime, and here we are all getting an extra hour of sleep. Perhaps it's because it's darker earlier in the evening. Sleep problems have previously been associated with increased antisocial and criminal behavior, so we were surprised to find that the increased uh, sleep was associated with increased offending. Uh. Oh boy! So in the end, our bodies. Yeah, Mugger had a whip. Our bodies don't like change. The whole premise of, uh, as it says, uh, of of daylight savings was to save energy, and they've shown that it actually doesn't because everyone just turns on their lights and TVs and uses more energy instead of saving <laughs> the energy, right? right? And and so this is basically espousing like, why do we even do it anymore? Yeah, it's a great question. Because if I'm more likely to get mugged, yeah. Is it really worth this? How about it, we just keep the time the same, but we get an hour off of work? No, that I agree with. And that. then your employer's like, great, we'll pay you an hour less of work. It'll be awesome. <sighs> you great for everyone. always side on the employer. Well, you know you what? Know. I'm willing to, to earn just a little bit less to get a little more extra sleep. Okay, I'll take your money. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather side on less work, more pay hour off every day that rhymed yeah i every once in a while i just like to bust out a rhyme bust a rhymes <laughs> you know i missed my calling in life i probably should have been a rapper of gifts <laughs> again i don't know why they laugh for you they love they a good laugh. they love a good pun what can i say well that's good for you, I guess. No, I, no, uh, well, no rap I, for that. No, I, I throw down a lot of good puns, but my puns, I guess, aren't seen as punny. See, nothing. Well, that's something. You got the crickets. That's cricket laughter right there. Yeah, that's great. If I'm a seagull, <laughs> right? Well, but, if you were a seagull, they would not be laughing. That's not – crickets, when they make the cricket noise, they're not laughing. You know that, right? No, they are. They they're totally rubbing are. their legs together. They laugh with their legs. We lift with our legs. They laugh with their legs. That's ridiculous. I don't know where you got that in from. Where did you – is that the California school system working for you? <laughs> crazy stuff. Crazy, crazy. Hey, uh, we got a lot to cover. Um, of course, BYU Sports Nation will be up. We got to find out what happened to the BYU Cougars. I they, missed the whole game. They lost by not that big of a margin compared to their other games. They had so a they drive. I guess they had a final drive they could have done, but then Tanner Mangum blows out his or he hurts mm. his Achilles. Season-ending injury for him. Bo Hodge comes in and he struggles. I guess I don't. I don't know the whole story because I was busy doing getting ready for my big date night. I don't know that they were favored to win anyway. So it's not too much of a disappointment. If anything, it's kind of encouraging because they came within one touchdown. Is this going back to your hug theory that if 
if a crime is committed against you, it's okay because it just gives you a chance to get a hug? Yeah. So it's okay that Fresno beat BYU simply because it's a chance that we can all hug each other. I'm sure there were some hugs in the locker room. I, I will bet there, there weren't. Really? Well, there were probably hugs for Tanner Mangum. You don't even – maybe there were some good game little swaps. Well, Kalani Sataki went in there and said, this is not BYU football. Really? He we said that? We've got to get better. But then he ended with a hug. I think so. Did he say like, hug it out, boys? No. No. There's some places that pain is pain and hugs no gain. You know what? Football is just a game that's full of hugs. As you know, they hug to the ground, but have you have you played football lately? That's what they do. They just hug each other and then it's... they fall over from the power of the hug. Wow. Wow, that was a powerful hug. You spun my helmet and then all the way around. They're so into hugs that they run after other people and want to give them hugs too. So that's how you see football being played. Just a bunch of guys chasing each other around to hug each other. Exactly. It's a hug fest. A lot of people would say, no, that guy spit in my face. And that guy, once he was on top of me with a pile of other people, he was hurting me. Sometimes you hug somebody so powerfully that uh, they get injured. It happens. Only in your family, Jeffrey, <laughs> growing up. Because you had a lot of brothers that would hug you so, so tightly until something popped. One of my brothers hugged me so tightly... Uh, so And then somehow I ended up with cheese whiz in my nose. Not sure how that happened. Wow. But that was, that was not the kind of hug that I like. No, nobody likes that. Um, which is why, by the way, your mom affectionately called your brothers snap, crackle, and pop. <laughs> right? Because somebody's going to get snap, crackled, or popped. Ah, the love of the Simpson family. It's such a beautiful thing. A joy that can only come. 320 days a year because they rest on the Sabbath. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Do you ever get in an argument with uh, a family member, somebody, you know, maybe your spouse, and you've You've committed to a life together, and then you get in an argument, a fight, and and then all of a sudden it just seems like it's really getting out of hand. And you don't necessarily know what – okay, what's okay, what's not okay. So here to help us walk through that is Coach Kim Giles. Kim is the president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching and the 12 Shapes Relationship System. She's a regular guest on our program. Uh, She also hosts an internet radio show called Relationship Radio every Thursday on voiceamerica.com. And uh, Kim, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Thanks, Matt. So um, because there's a fine line between what's appropriate and what's not, and sometimes we aren't the best judges. No, especially if you grew up in a home where your parents did fight and their behavior was inappropriate fighting behavior, you right. may actually see that as pretty normal right? and think everybody fights like that. Who doesn't fight? And, yeah, but yeah, no. And so you put up with it. You know, the thing is, every relationship, there's going to be times that we disappoint, offend, or irritate yeah. each other. Oh, absolutely. That, by the way, some call that love, right? <laughs> That's just love. Yeah. 
just a great it, relationship. We do it. Part of it, we're yeah. going to have disagreements. So you really want to look at, did you learn healthy skills to deal with conflict yeah. from your parents growing up? And if you didn't, where are you going to learn that? I mean, they don't teach them in school. They should. Yeah, right. I've been saying for they years. Don't, they don't do it. That would be the best thing they could teach kids in school every year from kindergarten on oh. up. Yeah, and it's funny. We, but if you get in trouble and in fight at school because you're like throwing snowballs and hurting each other, they'll bring you in. But they don't necessarily teach you how to do it differently, right? How to talk it through, how to get over it. So we know, like, I know I can't snow throw a snowball at my wife. I know that because I learned that in grade school. Okay, I know I can't hit. I know I can't. Got some skills. Yeah, (laughs) but um, but most of us don't. Learn. We don't know what else to do. No. And what it, not only how to deal with conflict, but how to deal with emotion. Yeah. Because I think most of the time when things get out of hand and we now are behaving a way that is not appropriate fighting behavior. Yeah. It's because our emotions are so out of control and we don't know how to process what we're feeling. So we do a lot of projection and attack of our spouse. Oh, yeah. And and this could go for kids or anybody, not just your spouse. And it, and, and really – and then we hand these traditions down. Yep. And nobody questions them. them. Yeah. So so I guess how do we know how do we know I guess before we figure out what to do, how do we know what's appropriate and what's not? Okay. So we've kind of divided fighting behavior into three categories, or especially uh, bad relationship behavior. Yeah. Just stuff that you can't have. Yeah. So the first category we call garden variety. Fear, stress-based bad behavior. Yeah. And the truth is all of us are going to have some of that. There's going to be times that we're in a bad mood, we're hungry, we're tired, and we're mean to each other. Yeah. We get grumpy. And if this kind of behavior happens but only once in a while, it's not an everyday thing. It's an every once in a while. And I can tell my spouse is in a bad place today. He needs to go to bed, whatever. I I think a lot of that behavior – we could just forgive yeah. and let it go, don't you think? Yeah, just, if we just, argue just, over every fault, yeah. every mistake, we'd be fighting all the time. Oh, and maybe that's part of it is maybe you could actually uh, even label it like, like you know, okay, you're ha- you're having a moment. Let's just end this. And go to bed. I'm I'm really okay with just forgiving my spouse for a lot of that behavior, partly because I want. To be forgiven on my bad yeah, day when absolutely. I'm a little grumpy, right? right? And so I think when that kind of bad behavior starts, that's okay. Mm-hmm. We can forgive each other and let it go. Now, we move into the second category if this happens almost every day. Yeah. And we've got grouchy, ornery behavior, snapping at yeah. each other. This behavior is getting a little more hurtful, a little more personal, right? I don't it's, f- it's more constant. Yeah. yeah, happens more often. This is bad behavior that we really do need to address. We need to do something about it. And I think there's a lot of people that don't do anything about it. They put up with it for decades, right? A yeah. lot of this behavior because this is normal to right. them. This is just how we this roll. This is what marriage looks like. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if oh, there's that's that much conflict and that much hurting each other and there's resentment building up towards each other – it's time to do something about it. And we think it's like just person. Oh, yeah, that's just his personality. But if it's if it's disruptive and hurtful and constant and angry, it's not just a personality. No, there's, there's something a problem. Going on. There's a problem there, right? Yeah. And you, you and I, do we've talked a lot about how often we find couples that wait 
until they have said so many hurtful, terrible、uh. things to each other. They've behaved so badly. It's now a hundred times harder to fix、right. than it would be if, at the first sign of this kind of conflict between you, you had sought out some professional help because that makes a huge difference. Yeah. And and I think a lot of times the reason people put up with it for decades is they don't know how to fix it. Yeah. And and they're almost afraid trying to fix it and bringing it up might make it even worse. Well, and that, because historically it always has, right? So it never seems to work well because the minute I say something, he blows up. Yeah. So it's just safer to sweep it under the rug, put up with it, never do anything about it, and that's. What we really want to encourage people if if it's stepping into this inappropriate fighting behavior, and there's not a lot of love showing up in the relationship, it's time to have conversations about it and seek out some、yeah. professional on some level, coach, counselor who can and if, help if, you. And if they won't go together, my rule is: all, what I find is you just have to do something different. If you are unwilling to take it anymore, just say that. Absolutely. I don't know what I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means about our marriage. I'm just not taking this anymore. So, if if he won't go get help or she won't go get help, then go by yourself and get the skills you need, and that'll automatically start to move the system. Yeah. Have you? I've seen that many many times、yeah. where I've only been able to work with one、yeah. person in the partnership, but if they start reacting differently, oh, it changes everything. It throws the other one、oh, off. Yeah. They don't know they what to do. They can't respond the same right. way. Right. Well, and then what? So what it shows you is you have power. You then the power might just be you've got to have enough power to be different,、Absolutely. and you may not know how. You may be afraid, so go get the skills to be different. And then once you're different, he's he or she's going to have to respond differently. Now, it might, I mean, it might, might be worse. It might go faster, uglier. Yeah, but you'll have more skills to handle it. And, and then, and then, that's then you also what know, you need to know, right, right? Then you know where the problem is, because if you're no longer the reactive codependent, then all of a sudden. We see who's the problem. We see the reaction. <laughs> That's what I always say. One or two things are going to happen. They're going to shift and and come towards you,、yeah. or they're going to shift, and it's going to become clear、right. that you need to both go separate ways. Yeah,、right? it's, and it's and that's intense, right? That's a scary thought because、mm-hmm. we think that you can't handle that, but you also can't handle being in a a, a difficult. Codependent relationship, and we teach people how to treat us. So if you're willing to keep putting up with it and not do anything about、right. it, you're basically saying it's okay to treat me that、yeah. way. So don't be surprised that that's the way they're going to continue、yeah. to treat you. I've seen people's lives probably saved simply because one partner wouldn't take it anymore, and they came back, and then we found out somebody had a tumor, or we found out somebody had an undiagnosed disorder that they had、mm. never been dealing with ever in their life, and it changes. It helped them. So, you got to almost love each other enough to no longer be part of the process that's not working. I think a lot of people too, they're they're scared about that process of going to therapy or getting a coach or counselor. That it's going to be scary. It's going to be hard.、Yeah. It's going to be painful. And actually, it's easier than what you've been doing. Oh yeah, the way you've been living. And especially just because finally you have. I mean, especially if you could go together, that's super powerful too. Because. I, I always I, I had a couple just the other day that they were falling apart, and all I did was turn them back to each other and make them use the skills we teach to talk it out. And in ten minutes, they clarified a fight that lasted them all weekend. And、oh, all I did was、amazing. turn them back to each other. Like, okay, let's 
we can do this. Yeah. That's why I'm here. I, I find the same thing. It's so easy, especially when you've got a professional that knows what they're doing yeah. to help you resolve it, see it accurately, and teach you some mm-hmm. simple skills. They're simple. Yeah. No, this isn't. Yeah. But there's nowhere else to learn them if you so, don't seek it out. So true. So that's the second level, right? Okay. So the third is t- behavior that really should not be tolerated. It can't be allowed. Do not stay and, and continue to let this happen if there's – Name calling, if they're swearing at each other, if there's really intentional put downs to intentionally hurt you right, and belittle you. Um, I also think a lot of ignoring and sort of punishing by letting cold shoulder for days and days and days is not okay. Um, let's see, lying or being dishonest. Mm. If you've got a spouse you can't trust and is lying to you, you've got to do something about it. Um, broken promises. Any fighting behavior that's intimidating or threatening or makes you feel unsafe in yeah. your home, you need to do something about that. Um, even if it's violence and it ends up throwing things, breaking things, punching walls, it's it's not appropriate. No, there's it's better ways to manage emotion. Scared. Right. Well, and then, and then, yeah, then all of a sudden you think you're helping things by not addressing it, but you're actually teaching your kids that this is, I guess, okay. Yeah, and don't you you hear from a lot of couples like I do that, well, I'm staying together for the kids. Yeah. Well, this might not actually be the best thing for the kids to see. It might actually be healthier to let them see you have some boundaries and insist on being treated in a respectful way. That may educate them more. Plus, our assumption is that by me confronting unhealthy behavior that it has to end the relationship. All you have to do is just say, no, we're not doing that. Or like – do you know how many times all you all you have to do is the minute they cross a line like punch a wall, just call the cops. It's pretty easy. They'll 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 deal come with handle it, with it. and then the interesting thing is, and they'll document it. Mm-hmm. And and it's a third party. That's the reason we have other you know third parties to come intervene is because a, a, a system or a chair with only two legs isn't as stable as three legs. So having some more structure in the relationship. Whether it's a coach or the system, well then, th- then the the accountability is because you punched the wall. I felt unsafe. I called nine one one, and now you're mad at me. And where and, you need to be accountable right. for the choices. So sometimes that you it made. just it's just Absolutely. a little thing that you do different. Just one thing. And again, I can hear a lot of people that be like, well, "That's suicide," to call the authorities in. It's just the beginning of fixing the behavior or changing the system. And getting somebody the help they need. Because right. I don't think anybody wants to be that out of control no. and scary. Nobody no. wants to live that way. Mm-mm. So you, you're actually serving them. If you then pull, pull in some help, that means they get to learn how to be happier right. and have a better quality right. of life for right. sure. And again, it's consequences of what happens when we don't know how to manage our own emotion. Mm-hmm. There's a consequence. And you didn't create the consequence. You just responded to their inability to do it. The system will teach them how to do it. Absolutely. And there are a lot of resources out there. And if you suspect that you're in a relationship where emotional, verbal abuse is happening, and if there's any physical whatsoever. Can't tolerate it. Sexual abuse can't tolerate it. Absolutely. I'm shocked, though, how often I get someone in our office that – it's that bad, and yeah. they still think it's normal. Yeah. And when I explain, no, actually, there's a lot of relationships where that kind of thing never would ever happen, 
they're kind of shocked. No, it is. And then that sometimes takes a long time for them to process through like – Really? So I don't have to take this? Yeah. No. So we just want anybody listening today who's got this kind of dynamic going on in your relationship, don't put it off. No. There are resources all around us. There, There's organizations that can help you if you feel like you're in an abusive situation and, and you need some help to get away. Yeah. To to actually facilitate your your spouse or partner getting the help they need. It's out there. And, and, and you, you can and, and Google, it, you can find it. And it can be family and it can be pastors and clergy. It could be friends. It could be the police if you need it, plus shelters, plus there are a lot of resources and and – um, the earlier the better, it seems like, too, because the longer you go in the system, the more it really becomes it's, – sometimes it's harder to break these systems. Yeah, we really don't want to wait for yeah. sure. Um, one – I'm going to back up a little bit. If if the situation in your relationship, it gets bad, it gets out of control, but not quite to the level that you feel like you should call the police. Another tool or skill that we teach our clients is – to sit down with your spouse and both of you agree to a timeout rule. Yeah. And the way this works is in any fight at any moment, if one of you feels like this is out of this is now becoming inappropriate, if one of you calls a timeout, the other has promised to honor that and immediately walk away. Yeah. So you can go to your own corners, calm down, get back to your senses where you can be rational and logical before you finish that conversation. And and I like to see that happen anytime. That you're Absolutely. starting to get really angry where you might say things you'll regret later. Do a timeout. And then you need you need to both agree on it. And we teach, too, that you need uh, – you, you kind of need to know what to do, like to lower your own emotion. Because – so this is the emotional intelligence side. I know people that call timeout. And, but then they don't know what to do. Uh-huh, and I know people that escalate it just simply so their spouse will call the timeout and then they, they're done, free. Mm. So – as humans, we're going to manipulate every rule that we create if we're not careful. And so get – so in the timeout, what I usually teach is if we have a timeout, then we usually need to then – we do that to calm down. And then we have 24 hours to call a time in when we're going to, to re-engage the conversation. The conversation. Oh, yeah, that way the withdrawer doesn't always just get to get away and the pursuer can't always just chase. We know if we're going to call a timeout, we've got to have the skills to come back. And heal. Oh, that's so good. Um, on our website, on our many giveaway worksheets that we've yeah. got available, which yeah. is a lot of them, there's a, there's a processing emotions worksheet. There's another one we call the clarity questions. Yep. And they're tools that my clients use when they do walk away. They need to sit down and get clear about what's really happening. Why did I get triggered? Why did he get triggered? What's the right response? If I do this, what's going to happen? If I do that, what's going to happen? Yeah. And if you have a simple worksheet to kind of work process through, process through, through it, through. get clear, then you'll be really ready to come back and handle it in a better uh, way. You need, and I guess the key to all of this is saying we've got to become more emotionally skilled. We do. We need to upskill, right? Yeah. Because when we know better, well, then we can do better. Yeah. yeah. But until then, we're kind of stuck in the same pattern. And, and even if you keep break. thinking it's your partner that needs the skills, then you need the skills to help your partner get the skills. We all still need oh, skills. Oh, everybody on earth needs skills. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I – Constantly keep learning. I totally agree. Kim Giles is her name. Go to the website, uh, claritypointcoaching.com, claritypointcoaching.com, or what are we calling it? 12shapes.com. 12 12shapes.com. 12 and uh, just check out all of her stuff. Tons of free stuff. Pound for pound, more free on that site than anything else. 
that's what we're going for. <laughs> so good. Changing lives. Kim, thanks. Thanks, Matt. This is the Matt Townsend Show. BYU Sports Nation, up next. Welcome back. You know it. This music means it's time to go down to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation for some homespun knowledge and wisdom when it comes to uh, football and all things BYU. BYU Sports Nation, uh, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Yeah! You guys, welcome to the Hayride. Oh, cannot wait. That we call the Matt Towns. There's one piece of... One bale of hay for each BYU football loss. <laughs> we're, we're gathering up the hay bales then. Um, hey. Boy, you guys, I was a little busy Saturday because I had an event I was hosting, and so I missed the entire game. Okay, this conversation's over. It's you great did, talking to you, Matt. But you didn't miss much. So that's what I want to know. Um, BYU lost. Was it, was it close? Yes, absolutely it was. Uh. It was close the whole game. This was a tough loss in many ways. One, BYU loses. Two, Tanner Mangum, Achilles, out for the year. Oh. And spring ball, in all likelihood. I blame Brad Pitt. It's really. Why, why is that? Ocean's Achilles. 14 now. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, Troy. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it was a Troy. stretch. It was that, a stretch. It was a very long stretch. Uh, yeah, th- yeah, another loss. This one, uh, I mean, BYU was right there. Oh. Uh, outgained Fresno State in total yards. BYU didn't create a takeaway. Uh, BYU had the ball with a few minutes left, down seven. Mm. Matt Bushman, uh, you know, catches a pass at, uh, out of the end zone from Bo Hodge at the 20, 25-yard line and uh, makes a couple steps, and then ball pops out, and Fresno State has it and runs out the clock. So, uh, yeah, another uh, disappointing game. That sealed BYU's non-bowl fate for the first time since 2004. Oh, BYU boy. Won't go to a bowl game. And... Uh, but Bo Hodge went in, I guess, and tried? He went in. He wasn't very good. Three for 10, 51 yards, uh, three rushes, negative two yards. So Bo, did, Bo didn't scream awesome in this one. It was a struggle for everyone. Um, he's not right either. He, I mean, he's still. He re-injured his ankle. Oh, TBD yeah. on whether he's playing this week. And if so, oh, no. Is. So we'll see. It's, it's Bo Hodge or Joe Critchlow, you'd think, starting quarterback in Vegas Friday night. Oh, boy. So things are great. I, I, I'm sorry I missed it. Squally Canada had a nice game, by the way. Yes, he 12 did. carries, 84 yards, touchdown. Nice cutback on that one. Uh, seven yards carry. Yet he doesn't get the ball on fourth and one uh, late in the game, which was interesting. BYU's just so banged up at running back. No Ula Tolu Tau, no KJ Hall. Mm. No Kavika Fonua for like the past forever. Yeah. This, uh, uh, B- BYU's they're running Braidnell Bakri quite a bit, walk on fullback. I mean, it's just. Tough times. Two and eight. Kalani's good when you're two and eight. Kalani uh, made the point that this is not BYU football. That's uh, that's for dang sure because this is the worst record BYU's had since 1968. 68? Yeah, so you could argue. That was the year before you I was could argue born. This is the worst BYU football team in 50 years, which is pretty gnarly. Uh, BYU's been uh, somewhere between decent to great for 50 Years most of the time. (laughs) What in the world? That's crazy. Well, boy, so does it change? Like, what do you guys do all week? 
I mean, the, get it, you ready for basketball against Mississippi Valley State. The regular season opener. Is that what you're going to do? Because no. I'm just thinking, what do you? That you can't ask a lot of questions because they don't have answers. It sounds like it's and, been the same questions for a long time. Yeah. Yes, but the thing is, now that a bowl game is officially out, it changes. Things. It changes everything. Ooh, now what does why? BYU why? play for? Where do they oh, go, go for yeah. now? Motivation. How does it change expectations going into the 2018 season? True. Who's the quarterback? Oh, true. And hold on. So did Tanner? I guess do we know? Did Tanner? Did his Achilles? Did his Achilles separate? We don't know. We don't know sure the specific details of it, but I know he's on a scooter again. Again. Oh boy. And the non-contract, non-contract, the non-contact Achilles injury generally means at least, at least six months of recovery. So he'd be out for spring ball, and that would take you into May. Right, May sixth would be. That's best case scenario, I think. Well, and how do you go get a quarterback? I mean, don't you have to groom your quarterback? Yes, and BYU thinks that they can groom their quarterbacks with the likes of Bo Hodge and Joe Critchlow, and then depending on if Tanner Mangum is healthy and you know ready to come back and lead this yeah. team, we'll see. But the quarterback battle that will ensue is now we the storyline of the year for the yeah. 2018 season that approaches. Mm-hmm. Because this isn't like you can just go grab a JUCO player, right? Because they've got to they got to fit into BYU system. They got to fit into the BYU honor code. They got a lot of fitting well, to do. Theory, you can you yeah. you can throw somebody else into the mix, but honestly, I think Ty Detmer feels like he has the guys he wants to groom. He's got the peeps, yeah, and that is not based on anything we've seen in games this year. Yeah, maybe there's so if you based it all on games this year, you'd say BYU does not have a quarterback you like moving forward. Right, Bo Hodge has not had a lot of run though. I would like to see him get a shot, and maybe that shot starts Friday night. If it's, he had an entire off season, or at least an entire like fall camp, mm-hmm. knowing like, okay, you're the guy. But what would that? Yeah, what does How that do? That yeah, well, and now show I guess, itself on the field. Right? Well, and two, he now knows he's got the rest of the season. Maybe if he can, you know, and play how's his healthy. ankle. Yeah, how's yeah. his ankle? That's he's he had a concussion. Boy, you know, and and that's always sketchy. And who knows how many concussions guys have? Sometimes, yeah, some right. are obvious, some are not. Um, so yeah, it, it, yeah, it's a sticky situation. I, obviously, the reset button's going to be pushed in the off season. With uh, okay, that was that. Flush it out. Let's get back to a bowl game next year. The thing we hadn't really talked about is this year changes the expectations for next year. Now now it's not, hey, eight, nine, ten wins. It's get to a bowl game. That's probably it. Mm. Get to a bowl game next year. Oh, boy. And then you go from there. And then if BYU wins eight or nine, you go, hey, we exceeded expectations, which is hard to do. Yeah. It was just a year. It was just a bad year. High. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what are you guys talking about on your show? We're going to talk to ESPN's Trevor Manich. Also, we'll bust out the Wheel of Accountability. I know. I, I saw Ben carrying it around it. today. Yeah. So it has different things on it. We're going to spin it, and then we're going to discuss whether that thing that it lands on uh, is a legit reason why BYU is 2-8. Oh, this is exciting. The Wheel of Accountability the is going down. Wheel of Accountability. accountability. <laughs> it's going down, man. <laughs> How long have you practiced oh. that? Ne- never first time. That also, was really good. What here? But this is we buried the lead. I'm sorry, we buried the lead. What movie is the BYU football season? Uh huh. Oh. Hashtag BYUSN. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Titanic. <laughs> no, the expectations were not to win the national title. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. it's not Titanic. Okay. That's Florida State's. Uh, we are Marshall. Jeff says. What? Well, what? that's just mean. That was just that's Jeff. That's, too, that's like Jeff's having serious. a bad day. He still he still can't get over the uh, the Dodgers. He said he was over it. No, and I didn't believe him. No, he's not. 
He's he, he's been shredding an Astros cap. If he's over it, he's not a real fan. He's not. This should take some time, man. Game seven, World Series at home. Mourn. Mm. Mm. It's okay. Well, guys, we we're not over you. Thank you, Matt. And I just want you to know that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, hey, I met Jeff's in-laws, by the way. <gasps> Did you? We'll talk Matt. about that tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow, okay, tomorrow yeah. for what? sure. Yeah. Jeff's in-laws. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Do you have some dirt? Dirt. Okay. Oh, did I ever. Okay, this is exciting. Jeff was an Angels fan growing up? What? <laughs> yes, he was, because of Disney connection. Uh, okay, guys, we will bring up that tomorrow for sure. That's good news. Good news! We've got some dirt on you, Jeffrey. This My wife just spoke with her parents last night. They didn't say anything about this. Because we were going to surprise you on the show. Hmm. Surprise! <sighs> Tomorrow is going to be a really big day. That wasn't me in Mexico over the weekend. Oh, wasn't it? No. Then why are you wearing that sombrero? Well, I love nachos, and it's a nacho sombrero. It's not my sombrero, is right. Hey, uh, let's get to our hero story of the day. One of the men who said he helped uh, run the Texas church gunman off the road Sunday is being hailed as a hero for potentially preventing more bloodshed after the deadly shooting. Uh, Johnny Langendorf said he decided to track down the killer uh, after seeing the gunman exchanging fire with another member of the community. That person who hasn't been identified reportedly shot the gunman during the encounter. The mass shooting unfolded around 11.30 a.m. at First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, about 30 miles southeast of San Antonio. At least 26 people were killed and 20 wounded. Langerdorf said he arrived at the intersection near the church, and he witnessed the gunman and other men engaging in a gun battle and recognized one from the community. Uh, he Then I pulled up to the intersection. I saw the shooter coming from the cars, actually right outside the church where the vehicle was parked. Anyway, he uh, loaded up the, the other bystander that was also a hero, and they started chasing the, um, the, the now deceased gunman that shot the 26 people. They chased him. They eventually ran him off the road. And uh, all that we know is that the gunman the, actually uh, apparently killed himself. Um, and they're not sure of all of the details. But our hero is this Johnny Langendorf who threw himself into this situation and was willing to step up and do whatever he could to make a change. That's what makes a hero, folks. And that's our show. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation, it's up next.